0: Listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live.
1: there happy new year welcome to review and preview folks i'm your host tom Scavetta, join alongside both of my excellent co-hosts kyle russo and james montefusco guys a new year the same show little change here tonight in the studio really looking forward to it uh welcome guys
2: thank you tom welcome happy new year
0: yeah happy new year to you guys i hope it was uh fun one or a nice new year. Hopefully we get a better year come, uh, 2021.
1: Looking forward to this show tonight, folks. Remember if you want to subscribe to review and preview, follow our ticker below for all of our social media platforms. Make sure to click the like button. If you like what you hear here on Facebook at review and preview sports and our YouTube channel as well at review and preview sports, we post all sorts of content on there. Really appreciate it. If you give us a thumbs up and share the channel. Uh, folks, if you have any have any comments or questions for us tonight, feel free to uh, drop a comment. We will pin it. We will get back to you. We love conversing with our audience and our fans, so please make sure to leave us your questions, thoughts, and remarks. Uh, we do have a special guest tonight, hence the theme color of our banners here. Host of the Cover One Buffalo podcast, Greg Thompson, will be joining us. The show at 8 p.m. to preview the Buffalo Bills and their playoff game this Saturday against the Indianapolis Colts. And obviously, it was just announced that 6,000, a little over 6,700 Bills fans will be able to attend this playoff game. So, excellent stuff for the city of Buffalo. Uh, we know our governor will be in attendance as well. Uh, so, yeah, definitely, definitely an
0: interesting start to the new year 2020 Russo can can you hear can you hear hear me James I could I could hear you I could hear Tom Righty, you guys can hear
1: me okay all right James uh, thank you for that comment though we'll uh, get that situated in just one moment Uh, but yeah definitely looking forward to this Um, we're gonna start off right away with some NBA news we'll transition into the college football playoff and then talk some NFL week 17 before getting to our playoff predictions so Kyle Russo, I want to start with you. Uh, Stephen Curry scoring 62 points the other night for the Warriors against Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers. It seems like this is the second year in a row now where Steph's back is somewhat against the wall. I mean, all of his boys are out. Klay Thompson's out for the year. He's having to rely on guys like James Wiseman. Uh, Just an overall evaluation of his performance so far this season and that game in particular.
0: I mean, Steph Curry, he hasn't missed a step. He's, he's legit. He's the greatest shooter of all time. There's no argument against that. What makes him so special in this game is that not only did he score 62 points, but he did it efficiently as well. The amount of shots he took, a majority of them he made. It wasn't like he shot the ball 60 times and only scored 62 points. Shot the ball efficiently. Tom, like you said, he has to rely on guys like James Wiseman, who's a rookie. Yes, second overall pick, but a lot to handle as a rookie. Um, with no real supporting cast. Kelly Oubre, who's new. Um, Draymond Green is just coming back because he didn't start the season off healthy. With um, Steph Curry, we know what he's capable of. The problem that I have with this is that Steph, I, I worry for Steph because when Steph, his back is pushed against the wall, metaphorically, theoretically, he gets hurt because all the pressure is on him to carry the team. And you've seen that because the Warriors were off to a slow start Uh, They started to put together some wins. They beat Sacramento, I believe, last night. They beat the Portland Trailblazers the other night. They're getting their wins, but it's at the cost of Steph having to put up an epic performance every single night. And they're only winning by a small margin nonetheless. So I love to see what I'm seeing, but I'm worried for the safety and his own health potentially, you know, as this continues throughout the 72-game season, which we have to look forward to.
1: That's a fabulous point you bring up there. Uh, let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets, a team we're very familiar with, uh, not too far from where we're located. The Wizards upset the Brooklyn Nets by one point on Sunday night. Bradley Beal had twenty-seven points, ten rebounds, and their newest addition. Really strange to talk about this, but Russell Westbrook in a Washington Wizards uniform out dueling. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, despite Kyrie's 30 points, 10 assists, it wasn't enough. Uh, do you think this is kind of like a gelling moment for Brooklyn where they're still trying to gel or are you impressed with what Washington has been able to put out there and how they stacked up against Brooklyn?
0: I'm impressed from what Washington was able to put out there personally. You know, they, they've assembled a couple young pieces over the course of the years. Um, I know that they drafted Denny, uh, Avida, I believe his name is with the ninth overall pick. Advida with the ninth overall pick this year, is a great young foreign player. Um, they drafted a guy in Rui Hachimura out of Gonzaga last year, who I personally loved. Another guy that was kind of under the radar last year that they had on the team that was really helping out Bradley Beal was Thomas Bryant. So they've assembled a nice young team, and then obviously with the trade of John Wall to Houston for Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook, you know what you're going to get with him. He's a He's a triple-double machine. He's not going to shoot the ball efficiently, even though we saw in this game 9 for 25 is horrible. He still put up, I believe, 27 points or 24 points in this game. I'm impressed with what Washington does, but it scared me a little bit to see what Brooklyn did. Because not that Brooklyn necessarily shot the ball efficiently either. Kyrie shot 10 of 20, and Kevin Durant and Kyrie both shot two of seven from the three-point line. But besides that, it's going to be very, very difficult To see who's that number three, we know set in stone, you could say it's Karis Levert, but Karis Levert didn't show up last night. He had six points, shot three of 13 from the field. Their next leading scorer was Joe Harris, who they signed to Big Money, but 16 points wasn't enough time. It wasn't enough to do it. He only played 26 minutes. And then uh, Luau Cabarro, 14 points as well. And then Jared Allen, 14 points off the bench. My biggest worry with this Brooklyn team, and I think I said it on this show going into the season. You know what Kevin Durant's going to bring to the table. You know what Kyrie Irving's going to bring to the table. My biggest concern is that when it gets rough and they start losing games, because that's what they've done right now. They've lost a couple games these last couple games. What is going to happen between the gelling and who's going to step up in that locker room? Because now you're seeing Kevin Durant's out for a week. That's another breaking news point. Kevin Durant now has to quarantine himself due to NBA protocols. What is going to happen when the load gets put on Kyrie? And he's the leader in that locker room, and they start losing. That's my biggest question with this Brooklyn team. Yep. I'll go as far as saying they're number one, number two, number three seed in the East, and even maybe a NBA Finals appearance, Eastern Conference Finals appearance. But what will happen during the regular season when they start losing games? That's the biggest question with this Brooklyn team, as far as I'm concerned. I agree. I think it's going to be interesting. And James,
1: welcome back, by the way. Uh, Thank hope you. Your sound is all situated out now. Uh, yeah, excellent work. So, yeah, let's. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, We just recap Brooklyn. We're moving on to the New York Knicks though. And I just want to make a final comment that that injury to Spencer didn't Spencer Dinwiddie is definitely going to hurt their backcourt depth this season, uh, forcing Karis Levert to become a starter now, uh, instead of having that luxury of bringing him off the bench. So we move on to the Knicks and the Knicks, they beat Atlanta last night, 113-108. They improved to four and three on the year. We look at the stats fellas and, Man, I got to tell you something. They look pretty good. Julius Randle, one assist shy of a triple-double, and R.J. Barrett with 26, 11, and 5, 11 boards, 5 uh, dishes. And then rookie Emmanuel quickly off the bench with 16 points. Uh, what do we attribute the New York Knicks' early season success to? Is it the Tom Thibodeau effect? Because right now it seems like the, the Knicks are playing awfully well, like they're somewhat overachieving in a sense.
0: I think it's the stability of having proper coaching in there. Um, you know, uh, an argument that I heard, I think I read about it this morning a little bit. Um, people compared this to the Barry Trotz effect on the Islanders. And yes, Barry Trotz has a Stanley Cup underneath his belt, but what those two both bring to the table is experience and winning. That's something that they've both done throughout the entireties of their careers as head coaches in their prospective leagues. Tom Thibodeau, I think, has like a 58 or 59 win percentage. I guess he's never – maybe won the big playoff game or gotten to the NBA finals, but he's won a majority of the games that he's played in. You look at this roster from top to bottom, it's mainly the same. There's no real change. Another year, second year of R.J. Barrett, he's improved tremendously. Julius Randle now, I believe, is like a fifth or sixth year player. Yep. he's in, He's been great. He's been really the backbone of this team carrying them. He's averaging just under a triple-double, I think, when it comes to the assist category, but he's averaging a double-double right now. And then you guys you guys see, like, Emmanuel quickly. That that was a pick that was a little knocked in this draft because uh, the Knicks had the opportunity to cash in on a guy like an R.J. Hampton who everybody thought was the obvious pick, and the Knicks go with Emmanuel quickly who at Kentucky who was more of just a snipe shooter. But in 18 minutes, I think he had 16 points and helping them off the bench, coming back, I might add, in this Atlanta game because they were down for a majority of the picks. <laughs>
1: That they were, and James, I think from an overall perspective, you and I were talking about this, it's just great to see New York basketball thriving. I know we're only two weeks into the season. It's too early to really jump on any type of pr- prediction here, but uh, the Knicks are competing, and they have the Jazz tomorrow night. That's gonna—that's a really good basketball team, well-coached by Quinn Snyder out west. They're coming to the Garden after playing Brooklyn tonight. So um, I, I'm really excited. I, I think this is uh this twenty twenty-one effect could potentially bring the Knicks out of out of a hole that they've been in for quite some time.
2: It's definitely nice to see both New York basketball teams gelling in a sense. Not gelling with each other, but gelling that they're both winning. Uh yeah, the yeah. Knicks are I think four and three as for the last stat line could have been yesterday. Yeah. Um definitely I think with a new coaching, um some of the some of the like Russo was saying, RJ Barrett has been playing a lot better for the Knicks. Um, I think they might bust the twelve wins wins I gave them earlier this season. Totally, um, I think they'll break that. I don't think do very that. disappointed when I see them above five hundred right now. But uh, of course, I'm happy to see that. I think it'll also bring basketball fans back into the Garden. Yeah, and back into liking the Knicks and New York basketball again because for so many years we've seen. The Knicks is hot garbage. The Knicks are trash. The Knicks suck. Yada yada yada, and nobody roots for them. They're like, oh, I'll root for Brooklyn, or I'll just pick like Miami or some super team. Okay, no, we
0: we don't use Hold
2: that. On, to James's point, it's a hundred percent accurate
1: because the Knicks have lost so many fans over the yeah. last five years. Um, uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I was younger, I kind of gravitated towards the Knicks. I was more like Knicks and Bulls, but but now the older I am, you know, I, I you know. You all have your established team eventually when, when you're around a certain age, but you know, I was just like, "What the hell am I watching?" You know, okay. like it, yeah. it wasn't basketball; it, it was just garbage, quite frankly. Um, yeah. Besides the one month that Jer- that Jeremy Lin decided to, uh, you know,
0: a year of his life, yeah,
1: yeah. The month, yeah.
0: week, couple of weeks of his life, but uh, getting you know,
1: out of a pot of gold, essentially.
0: So. James, I was just I was just kidding you, uh, kidding with you. But no, no, no. what I appreciate what I appreciate the most um about this Knicks team with Tom Thibodeau is that they're winning with their young talent and a lot of the talent in which they drafted. Yeah. Or a lot yeah. of the under the radar, nothing type of free agents in which they brought in. They're not winning with veteran guys, they're not winning with you know, they're not winning because of Austin Rivers or something like that. They're not winning because they're benching neurons. Um Mitchell Robinson and starting Nerlens Noel, well, you know what I mean? Right. They're yep. winning with guys that they've brought in. They're winning with guys they've drafted. Um, and they put together a solid lineup so far.
1: I want to say one more thing on the Knicks before we jump to Philly is one thing Thibodeau brought to Chicago that he's bringing to the Knicks is the emphasis of earning your minutes. And there's a lot of competition on this roster. Tom Thibodeau, virtually only plays eight to nine guys. You're you're lucky four guys come off the bench for you consistently throughout the year. I mean, I remember in, in Chicago, his three bench guys were Ronnie Brewer, Omer Ashik, and Kyle Corder. There was really nothing past that, uh, you know, for that one year that the Bulls were the one seed in the East. And now you're starting to see here in New York, it's quickly, it's Noel and it's Austin Rivers. And I know it, it'll vary depending on who they're matched up against, but those are the guys it's, not really many guys out there, but they're all effective. They know their role, and they do their job. Uh, speaking of doing your job and blowing up expectations, how about these Philadelphia 76ers, just about 90 miles down the New Jersey Turnpike fellas, uh, well, for me at least, and uh, I, I keep I keep
2: forgetting that Long Island effect, but um, – We're an extra 10 miles or 20 miles, if anything. Yeah, you're, you're like 40 miles
1: for me, 30, 40, something like that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I just wanted to say Philadelphia is off to a hot start at 5-1. and one. Tobias Harris was named Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Now, a lot of people in the offseason were talking, oh, Doc Rivers, he's an overrated head coach. He's not going to come in and make Philadelphia, you know, a top team in the East. And I understand it's still early, and you do somewhat benefit from your schedule. But uh, let's talk about the Sixers, man. What's clicking for them? I think it's a combination of multiple things. They got better shooting-wise and – the opponents they've played, they've just outmatched
0: them. Yeah, that's really what it's been. It's been the it's been the shooting, and particularly from one person, it's been the addition of Seth Curry. He's averaging almost 16 points per game in that lineup. He's shooting over 50 percent from the three point line and 50 percent from the field. He's been spectacular for them. But again, do I think it's accredited to Doc Rivers a little bit? Definitely, because I don't think there's any argument who's the better coach between Brett Brown and Doc Rivers. I think that's hands down, you know, blatantly obvious. Right. But, again, when it comes down to the nitty-gritty things, it's, it's Ben Simmons. That's the question with this team. It's only Ben Simmons is the question with this team. What is he going to be able to do? And to be honest, what he's done right now so far this season, 32 minutes a game averaging less than 14 points, averaging less than 10 rebounds, and averaging around seven assists. Do you have to, yes, he's shooting 50% from the field. If he cannot shoot the basketball – I don't give Philadelphia a shot against any of these star-named teams. If you look at the teams in which they played, they haven't played the cream of the crop talent. Played Orlando. They lost to Cleveland. You beat uh, Charlotte back-to-back. You beat Toronto, who's taken a significant fall from where they were just last year because of the amount of talent that they've lost. Mm-hmm. And Serge Ibaka, Marc Gasol, mm-hmm. other names as well. You, you got to show me, what What are you going to do against Indi- Indiana? What are you going to do against Milwaukee? What are you going to do against Boston? What are you going to do against Miami? And the biggest question with that is because I love Joel Embiid. I'm a big fan of him. Seth Curry, great. I love that starting lineup. Another guy, Tyrese Maxey, is really showing his star talent as well. What will Ben Simmons do when he's forced to be a shooter? And yeah. well, we know the answer is that he's not a shooter. So that's where they lack, and that's how teams have to approach
1: and I think that's why they acquired a bunch in the offseason, and not mm-hmm. to mention Danny Green as well, uh, Yeah, Long Island kid, going over to Philly. So a little closer to home for him. He's done a good job so far for them. But, um, James, anything you'd like to add on this basketball segment before we transition into the college football playoff?
2: Other than that, uh, New York basketball fans should be pretty happy in what they're seeing out of the Knicks. Absolutely. I know it's early. You know, a lot of them probably are like, I'm not getting my hopes up. But you should at least see some positive, uh, even though if it's not a good season this year, it'll be a positive to hopefully next season that they'll actually blossom into a very good team.
1: Right. I think it's going to take another year or two as well, uh, at least. But okay, folks, so we're going to transition into recapping each of the college football playoff semifinals, starting with my Fighting Irish losing to Alabama and fellas uh, you guys really picked on me for this one made me do a punishment video and and everything you know we'll talk about brian kelly's reaction with the media but first let's talk about the game bama beats notre dame 31 to 14 in the rose bowl mac jones with four touchdown passes three of them to Devontae smith and running back Najee harris had 125 rushing yards in this game uh One of his plays went viral on social media, that insane hurdle over safety Nick McLeod of Notre Dame and overall thoughts on Alabama's big three. Because, you know, I kind of mentioned this in my punishment video, which is coming out in a few days. Bama, they're the bullies, right? You have to match their physicality in order to beat them. And they were without their starting center in this game, and they were still able to manage to dominate the line of scrimmage on offense and kind of trap Notre Dame defensively. Where they had their hands tied a lot. I mean, the first three possessions were all touchdowns, and then from right then and there, I think about 90, 95 percent of people watching had a feeling Bama would come away with this one uh, just because of how hot of a start they got off to.
0: Yeah, no. When with with this game, the big three, and you talked about it, Tom just reflecting back on that with Najee Harris, Devonta Smith, and Mac Jones. Obviously, if I'm Notre Dame, what if I'm if I'm a fan of Notre Dame, what I'm upset about in this game is. Alabama is dominant, right? Nick Saban is a six-time national champion winner. You're going to be the underdog in this game. There's no doubt. But if you're Notre Dame, there's two things that you have to stop. And maybe it's me being a fan watching from the side and saying it's easier said than done. But you cannot let Najee Harris run all over you all, all game, running for 125 yards and then also being a pass-catching back threat as well, going for 30. And then Devonta Smith putting 130 yards on you in three touchdowns. I was very impressed with what Bama was able to do, and Notre Dame fought back early. I think they had it up to 14 to 7 was the closest margin throughout the entirety of the game. But they just – they had no clapback. They had no answer. Their kicker missed the field goal, and it seemed like that was it. That was it. They went into halftime down 21 to 7, and then the game was essentially over at that point. They came back out of halftime. Alabama just kept on laying it on them.
1: I don't know about that because, I mean, we had played a much better second half. Uh, they, I believe, they outscored us ten to seven in in the second half. And uh, you're right about Najee Harris and Devontae Smith. I think more about Smith because he he just caught everything that was thrown his way. Yeah, Najee Harris had 125 yards, but Bama was scoring so quickly. Harris wasn't getting the touches that he usually would. Yeah, but when you look at the final stat line, Bama only outrushed us by one yard. Um, you know, and I think part of that was. You look at Notre Dame's advantages in this game, Notre Dame also had the advantage when they had the ball offensively running. That was their one advantage, running the football. Uh, I think Notre Dame had a slightly better offensive line because of of the experience that they have up front. Uh, I think what kind of hurt us a little bit was not having our starting center. Um, Actually, both teams were without their starting center. For Bama, it was Landon Dickerson. And for Notre Dame, it was Jared Patterson. So we threw Zeke Correll in there and, you know Zeke he, he was he 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 was he was okay but um you know the luck of the irish didn't end up pretty well on new year's day it was a sour start to 2021 but i think ian book didn't have his best game look ian book's not going to lose you football games that, that that's not in his character but he didn't win us this one either he didn't go out and get it he had one rushing touchdown the one interception was really costly and then no touchdown passes it I know you guys like to hone in on touchdown passes a little bit. You got to throw touchdown passes against Alabama. I mean I read a stat somewhere. I don't know where it was, but Bama scores um a point on every 0.7 plays. Some, some something like that. I don't know if it was that absurd, but it adds up and you look at the final score of this game, guys and folks, uh Notre Dame cover the spread. We lost by 17. Bama was 20. All my friends are like, especially Canaan. It's like, oh, they're going to blow us out. They're going to cover the spread. They're going to destroy the spread. Well, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Bama's throw, throwing 50 out there every year, and they only put up 31 on Notre Dame. And that's a tribute to Clark Lee. Our defensive coordinator was able to come up with a game plan in the second half to keep us in the game and give our offense opportunities. We didn't take advantage of those opportunities. Brian Kelly mentioned it post game. We didn't make the plays. We needed to make. And Clark Lee kept them in this game. I mean, Kyle Hamilton was great, Drew White. Owusu, I mean, the problem is we didn't get any sacks on Bama. I wish to Karamoa was really a non factor. But uh, I thought Notre Dame held their own defensively in the second half. And, you know, I, I can't, you know, we'll talk about playing in just a moment, but I kind of want to get your final wrap up on, on this game and where you think this puts Bama and where this puts uh, Notre Dame.
0: Well, I mean, Alabama, we know. I mean, Nick Saban has arrived there. They're they're the team to beat, essentially. Like I said, six national championships. He has the resume put together. You always see in every NFL draft that at least, at least, I'm not going to say at least, but a decent amount of players go uh, within the first round that come out of Alabama. We know that's the case scenario. We already know that three of them could potentially be top 10 picks between Najee Harris, Devonta Smith, and maybe even Mac Jones, if they're lucky. That's how good of a committee in which they've built and resume in which they built in which the players they've assembled. Another thing in Notre Dame's fact, the, the, the defense did hold their own in the second half and granted with the offense, they scored that last touchdown by Ian book with less than a minute and a half left. The game was essentially over 31 to seven at that point in time. But another big factor in this game, why Notre Dame couldn't get it going. Javon McKinley just did absolutely nothing. He, he was a no factor Two two catches, 20 yards in this game. That was the biggest point. the point in this game was that if they shut him down, essentially, they were going to have to rely on other options. I know. I think Michael Mayer was the leading receiver for them. Yes. The tight end. So ben chronic Ben That That's a huge factor in parts of why the offense couldn't get going because the defense shut them down on Alabama's side. Yeah. Um, Notre Dame, they've been a great team the last couple of years. They have been. There's no doubt. Alabama is just in a class of its own. That's just, that's just the reality of the fact. That's that's just who they are. Yeah. That's why they have a a point spread that big in a in a playoff game you know, for a national champion because they're just in a class of their own. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I think Notre Dame
1: was better this year than they were last year and the year before when they also yeah. made the college football. The problem was Bama was better as well. Bama has that three headed monster. You know, I, I, the media kind of hit Brian Kelly a little bit in this game. The problem is. These reporters, like, you know, they're just watching the game and, like, the final score. And then, like, not necessarily all these guys know the ins and outs of football, and they're just asking Kelly these dumb questions. I mean, they're, I guess in a sense they're, they're fair questions because of what the final score read. But Brian Kelly wasn't a fan because here's the problem. Notre Dame joined the conference this year, and they held their own. They beat Clemson once. They They split against Clemson, you know. They deserve to be in there. And if you look at common opponents – they deserve to be in there over Texas A&M as well, the way they handled North Carolina, the, um, pretty much the way they played Alabama. I mean, Bama, routed Texas A, uh, A&M. I think Texas A&M's beef was more with Ohio State at the time. But Notre Dame deserved to be there. They really did. And they're going to continue to get there uh, with under Brian Kelly. I'm ver- I'm very confident under him that Notre Dame is going to continue to succeed. And, It was just announced that Jack Cohn, Long Island guy, uh, Wisconsin quarterback is transferring to Notre Dame next year. So he's likely going to be the starter there. I know there's going to be training camp competition and whatnot, but I'm very excited for what, you know, they have to offer next year from Notre Dame's perspective and from Bama's perspective. And James, I'm sure you could piggyback on, uh, piggyback me off this, but they're scary. They have NFL talent. You look at the players they have in the NFL, Derek Henry, uh, you know, Players on our own defense, Dalvin Tomlinson, Xavier McKinney, raw NFL players. That's what they provide. And that's why they're in this college football with the exception of last year, year in and year out.
2: They bring in some players that probably shouldn't even play most of their college career. They should <laughs> just jump to the NFL. I'm serious. Yeah, I mean, that, would be Derek Henry. that would be the case. That would be the I case. mean, Derrick Henry's a beast in his own hitting another 2K the yeah. option guards. I mean yeah. – Like if you watch the Henry High School highlights, that man did not need to go to college to show up. No. So, so some of those guys are just in a league of their own. So, yeah. But anyway. No, I mean you're 100% correct. They
1: are a different breed. They could probably beat the Jets thinking about it. But, you know, let's move on to Ohio State-Clemson because this was the good game. This was the game that surprised a lot of people, tur- turned a lot of heads, I think – uh couple of heads here in stream yard, including my own um, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson Tigers fall to number three, the Ohio, the Ohio State Buckeyes 49 to 28 in the Sugar Bowl. Ohio State outscored Clemson 21 to nothing in the second quarter. Now, my first question about this game, before we kind of dive into Fields and Lawrence, early on in the game, there was an ejection against senior linebacker James Skalski. A lot of people were not a fan of this ejection. What did you guys think pers- uh, think personally? I-, I thought, you know, he, should- he shouldn't he should have been tossed. He-, he should have stayed in the game. I-, I didn't think there was any harmful intent there. And, you know, it proved to hurt Clemson later on in this
0: matchup. I mean, there's an argument for both sides. I agree with you, Tom. I mean, I could see where and why, you know, you could think it is. Some plays, and we see it in the NFL all the time, where there's plays more dirty, rather than others that are just accidents, right? Uh, one that comes to my mind this year in the NFL. Remember John Bostic going in on Andy Dalton uh, in Washington, that Dallas game? That's a dirty, that's blatantly dirty. This is nowhere near that level, but it's it's still questionable with the intent to hurt somebody. I, I see the argument. I agree with you completely, Tom. And I do think that it did play a factor in this Clemson defense because Justin Fields just absolutely torched him. He did for six touchdown
1: passes, six touchdowns, that. right, right there. Everyone's like, Oh, Justin Fields. He's, he's overrated, overrated. Yeah. It's more than a hand uh, <laughs> 22 for 28, 385 yards, six touchdowns, one pick. And overall I think he proves why he's one of the top quarterbacks in college and why he is a top two draft prospect right now Yeah, uh, for the NFL and, What even impressed me more was Trey Sermon's performance, 193 yards on the Mm -hmm. ground. He dominated. He kept Clemson's defense on the field. That offensive line was fantastic. I thought Trey Sermon was a huge part of this game. You move to the other side of the ball in Clemson, Trevor Lawrence, I mean, his numbers were still good, Uh, 400 yards, two touchdowns. He did have an interception. His completion percentage wasn't as great as Fields was. Now, the question is, obviously, his Clemson career is over. Is he still the number one pick? Because now there are some people that are starting to say, well, if Field comes out and balls out against Alabama, now you have to have a serious argument as to who the number one pick is. I, My, my opinion, I think that is bogus. I think it's Lawrence regardless of what happens in the national championship game. But I will say this, Fields is not playing 100%.
0: No, Fields is not playing a hundred percent. I don't know if you guys heard about it, but probably about an hour or two ago, they're now potentially postponing the national championship game, um, due to some COVID outbreaks within the Ohio State program. So we'll see what happens with that as well. But
2: hmm. oh,
0: so if that does go in their favor, see Justin Fields will be able to get healthy, and in a sense, will be the good thing. We'll see the best product out on the field. You know, some people call it, you know, whatever it is. I I, I don't think somebody's lying about COVID, but um. In terms of the argument between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, I think it's still hands down Trevor Lawrence. I think everybody in the National Football League knows it's Trevor Lawrence. Did Justin Fields ball out of his mind? Absolutely. Did he outperform Trevor Lawrence? Absolutely. But at the same time, you know, Trevor Lawrence has comparisons to Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. And uh, throughout the entirety, even though Ohio State season was majority, uh, majorly shortened due to the COVID outbreak within their program, you never heard these types of comparisons to his play. Even when he had a fantastic season um, last year, you, didn't, you yeah. didn't have that. So with that being said, I think that the Jaguars have that number one overall pick. They're taking Trevor Lawrence. I would be absolutely shocked. Now, would there be an argument if he does what he did to Clemson against Alabama? I'd say, yes, there's, there's a serious argument to be made there because of the ability to do that. Because Tom, like you said, Alabama is probably a team, maybe a little farther stretch said, but Alabama is probably a team that can compete against a team like the Jaguars and the Jets in the NFL, an NFL caliber team. Does that mean that that's the better of the two quarterbacks? I don't know. But if he's complaining against a defense that deep, if the Ohio State Buckeyes are holding off an offense of that caliber, I think there's an argument to be said. Listen, if he has a normal game, 300 yards, two touchdowns, whatever, what if he goes off the way he did, six touchdowns, just absolutely slaying the football? Uh, there may be an argument, but I'm still taking Trevor with that first overall pick if I have. Now,
2: people say that long, uh, Trevor shouldn't go first. Trevor probably won bad game besides his miss with COVID yeah. because he put up numbers like his opposing quarterback did in one game. I'm not too concerned he doesn't go over one overall one. Jaguars need somebody like that Even if they, I mean, listen Russo said it that The game might be delayed due to COVID outbreaks Ohio State hasn't gotten their Themselves together For this whole, whole series So mm-hmm. I'm really not surprised they're trying to push the game To be honest with you, because Ohio State hasn't done Anything to fix their COVID problems And now it's going to affect the national championship That's going to be played Sunday? Wait, wait. Monday Monday. I mean, come on, man.
0: Let's be real. It's disappointing, but at the same time, I'm going to be honest, as a fan, it's better. Because then you're seeing healthy two quarterbacks. Uh, I don't want want to see Justin Fields out there with a groin injury and try to to play through that. Because that's not going to be entertaining. That's going to be a game that ends rather quickly, to be quite honest with you. And for people saying, oh, put your backup quarterback in. I don't think anybody wants to see that on national television. And what does that prove essentially? What does right. that mean?
1: No, I agree with your point, but I just want to say, did you see what Nick Saban's daughter tweeted?
0: I did see that. That was a little obnoxious. What?
1: I, I I agree, but what if that's true? I mean, just to play devil's advocate here, like what if that is true and they're trying to stall so that Fields could be 100%? If
0: that's fine. If that's if that's the truth, that's disgraceful, and that's a, li- uh, a little disgusting. You know, you understand from your own program standpoint that you know, you want to put the best team forth, and you want to see the best televised thing. You want to see the best game possible, and you're seeing two top quarterbacks and two top teams going into this year's NFL draft, and you want to see the best matchup possible, but at the same time, in a pandemic, in a world in which has been taken over by this disease, to potentially have something like that outbreak like James alluded to, where they have been having problems all season and people were questioning whether or not they were even uh not a capable, because we know they were a good team, but worthy of even making it into the playoffs based on only having six wins and only playing six games. Yeah. And then to have something like that, that's a little that's a little disgraceful, I think. To be yeah. to be like yeah. that. It's, you sh- that should not be the case scenario. I don't think – I couldn't – I can't imagine, especially with a team that's had so many COVID problems, for them to not lie but maybe over-exaggerate just the push to get Justin Fields healthy. I don't think they do that. I think it is the case. I think the bigger issue, like James, I think you said, is come on, man. This is like the third or fourth time already. Please, you know, what does it, yeah. it take to get your situation under control? If you have to tell everybody in that locker room to stay in your dorm room for the next week, do it. Because you yeah. in college football that has had the biggest problems with this outbreak. Yeah. Oh, let's
1: see. Mike Dawes will be getting his uh, golf <laughs> clubs out and sw- swinging at these guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, one last thing on this game is uh, I thought Travis Etienne was really neutralized. And that was part yeah. of the recipe to success for Ohio State defensively. Uh, Cornell Powell did what Cornell Powell does, had two touchdowns. He was excellent. But – ETN again. This is why they lost to Notre Dame. They couldn't get yeah. ETN going, and this is why they lost to Ohio State for the exact same reason.
0: I think he had the um, same stat line too. He had like thirty something yards against Notre Dame as well in like ten attempts. He just couldn't yeah. couldn't get anything going. He was a threat in the. Uh, he was a threat as a receiver. He did four, have like four receptions, sixty something yards, but it does come into question when it comes in terms of the quality and team in which you're playing. Now two massive games in which you just didn't show up.
1: Yeah, and it's a shame for the ACC because they went 0-6 in bowl games, so not good, not good. Uh, There was also a note by former Giants kicker Lawrence Tynes, and this happened multiple times in both semifinal games where the announcers were saying, oh, when you have a longer kick, you need to angle the ball downward. You need to have less height on the football, and Lawrence Tynes completely debunked this as you can see, he's tweeting, dear old football announcers, you do not have to drive it lower on longer attempts. That is not true. Please stop saying that. And as you can see, some old kickers agree with him, Shane Graham, Josh Scobie, and David Akers.
0: <laughs> that's, just, that's just a valid point. I mean, when you watch these magnitude kicks in the NFL, of like 55-plus yards, you see they still probably have like another five, eight yards left on the ball just because of how high they're kicking it up in the air.
2: Yeah.
0: But – this is <laughs> – Lawrence
1: Tynes, if you follow him on Twitter, he loves to speak his mind, and he's usually pretty accurate with what he's saying. Um, you know, he's a lot more accurate on Twitter than he was with the Giants, but uh, <laughs> in my opinion, personally. I, I You know what? I, I, t- I take that back because he kicked us into two Super Bowls, but uh, that, <laughs> that conversation should be brought up another day. Let's uh, quickly hear – Give you folks the line in the national championship game. The last I checked Bama was favored by seven and a half. Now Najee Harris, 24 touchdown rushes on the year. Devontae Smith, 20 touchdown receptions. And again, no Jalen Waddle, but he apparently he did practice today. So there's a chance he could suit up for this game. I think it's unlikely, but that'll be real, in, real interesting. And I think, With or without Waddle, I'm gonna ask both of you this question. Does Ohio State have a chance?
0: I'm not gonna say you don't have a chance. Of course you have a chance. And obviously, you know, the committee thinks they have a chance, and betters and networks think they have a chance. We're giving it just a seven point spread. But again, it's going to take Justin Fields, not to carry the team on his back, but he's going to need a performance, maybe not to the magnitude in which he did against Clemson. But you're going to need to have probably at least 350 passing yards and at least three touchdowns to potentially even compete in this game. And Trey Sermon has to do what he keeps on what he's done the last two weeks of college football. He needs to keep on doing that. That's the way that Ohio State is going to be able to keep up with this offense, because Najee Harris seems to be an unbeatable force. Devonta Smith, I believe, broke the receiving touchdown record yep. for college receivers yep. all time. That's going to be hard to stop. And then Mac Jones as well, who people don't necessarily talk about as much. He's been absolutely spectacular this year, you know, competing for a Heisman. um, And maybe even an argument potentially for him to get it. You know, all three of those guys could potentially win the Heisman, especially Trevor Lawrence um, missing a game or two because of the COVID-19 virus. Any one of those guys could win the Heisman Trophy. So it's going to be very difficult to defeat that three-headed monster for Ohio State. But I don't see any which way in how Alabama is going to lose this game. I mean, you never, you never. One thing in college football the last ten years, you don't, you don't bet against Bama. You just don't.
1: Uh, did you want to give a prediction for that game while we're at it?
0: Oh, score wise. Yeah, um, yeah. Sure. Uh, man, it's so hard to tell because it could really be a shootout. Uh, I'm hoping for a shootout because I don't think it's going to be a defensive game. Um, let's say thirty-five to thirty, Alabama.
1: Very nice. Uh, that's definitely a good score. So you have you do have Ohio State covering the spread.
0: Yeah, I think, we'll, I think they will cover the spread from what we've seen from guys like Chris Olive, uh Jeremy Rutger, Long Island guy. Um, I like Justin Fields a lot, but he's going to need to really put together a beautiful game in order to compete with that
2: offense that Alabama has.
0: Monty, you're up.
2: I'm going to go with Bama. Um, let's do – 47,
1: damn, So 35. All right, so you have Bama beating them by two touchdowns. That's a similar score to mine. I have Bama winning 41-28. I don't think Ohio State's going to be able to compete the way Notre Dame did defensively uh, against Bama. I think Notre Dame's defense was a little bit more stout in that regard. I think Fields is going to have a lot of trouble uh, attacking corners, on Alabama was Clemson's corners were not as strong this year. They're a younger team than they were last year. Cause we know AJ Terrell and others in that defense are now in the NFL. Uh, you're going after Patrick Sertain, uh Will Anderson, Jr. They got boys back there. They don't got boys. They got men. So give me Bama 41, 28. Yeah. Although I do like Kyle's prediction. Cause I think, Ohio State is something to prove, not just to the committee, but to America.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, that's true. I we'll mean, see. Dabo saying, you know, Ohio State is the 11th ranked team in the nation kind of probably fueled that fire a little too much, but maybe that fire will exist in this game.
1: <laughs> a bit. A bit. Hey, folks, just a quick reminder at 8 p.m., Greg Thompson, the host of Cover One Buffalo Podcast, will be joining us at 8 p.m. for about 20 to 30 minutes, really looking forward to that. Um, And until then, we're just going to go over some of the Week 17 games that took place and reveal our final review, preview, NFL Quick Picks regular season standing. So, James, if uh, you you could do the honor and uh, please uh, share the graphic and announce who the winner and the loser were for 2020.
2: And why did it go and disappear? Man, you know, computer, you know. Okay, there we go. All righty. So, uh, week 17, NFL standings are in the books. That means we're in the books. Um, so, as week 17 as a whole, I was the winner of week 17, Quick Picks. Uh, Gabe was the loser of week 17. But that doesn't make a difference anymore because we are at playoffs and the overall season standings. Kyle was the overall winner. Congratulations, buddy. Uh, you went 171 and 83 with five um, that. that.
1: points. That's why I did it for you. <laughs> I
0: appreciate it.
2: Uh, then we got Tom in second place, 164 and 90. He, is, he ended the season with 198 points. Myself, I went 164 and 90 with 197 points. And then Gabe was 160 and 94 with 193 points, and he is a loser. As you guys see, it was a tight race all the way through, which we love seeing, until Russo started to pull away last week. Um, but it's great to see, and we move on to our playoff matchups, boys. Hold on, Kyle, as, as,
1: as the winner, would you like to make a statement, <laughs> a brief statement?
0: Brief statement. I, I'd like to thank my parents, my family, all my loved ones. <laughs> Without them, this wouldn't be possible. Sitting here as the winner of the 2020-2021 NFL season quick pick edition of Review and Preview. Um, sitting there at 205, the only one to eclipse 200. Let's go. Uh, betting safe is better than better. Betting risky. That's all I got to say. From watching these picks over the course of 17 weeks, um, for the majority of the fact, I picked the, quick, uh, the safe pick. And I think that saved me and helped me in the long run. But uh, – that is my game-winning speech.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Congrats. Uh, right. Now, I just want to say one thing. There was one person here that hit every single lock this year through oh, 17
2: weeks. I wonder weeks. who that could be.
1: That happens to be myself, me and I. Uh Yeah. Taking <laughs> the Colts against the Jaguars, which – uh they yes. lost them week one, but I, I knew they wouldn't lose twice. But, yeah, congratulations, Kyle. Well-deserved. And now we move on to the playoffs as there you go, getting some uh, love there in the comments.
0: Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah. It so, work, a lot of tough energy. Yeah, Blood, <laughs> sweat, and tears.
1: Let's see if you can keep it up in the playoffs as now we're adding yeah. him to the fold. So that should be fun. Should yeah. Be fun for sure. But uh, let's, let's move on. We'll get rid of that graphic and talk about some of these games before we bring up uh, Greg Thompson, who will be joining us at 8 p.m., as you can see all right there. And we'll go back to Week 17. All right, so the first game we're going to talk about, the Jets and the Patriots. The Pats win 28-14. to I maybe caught two plays from this game thanks to red zone. Uh, <laughs> look, hmm. New England has now won 10 straight against the Jets. Uh, you know it's bad when um, you know, you're in New York and – not watching the Jets game, but uh yeah, Adam Gase was fired on Sunday evening. The Jets finished two and fourteen. And now it's the, the it, yeah, you know, now the real question is what's the future of Sam Darnold? I mean, we'll talk about the head coaching vacancy next week and who they're gonna be interviewing, but for right now, like what does the future hold for Green Eggs and Sam? You know, the storybook seems to be coming to an end in New York, unless the new head. Co- I think it all depends on who the new head coach is. If he wants to retain Sam, or if he wants to start fresh. But right now, Joe Joe Douglas seems to be more worried about the head coaching position.
0: Yeah, that's it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be based off of. You know, a lot of people gave Joe Douglas a lot of a lot of hate. Didn't cut him a lot of slack. Everybody got to every, people got to remember that the Jets, which was. Absolutely ridiculous. Allowed McCagnon to draft for them, and like a month later, they fired him and hired Joe Douglas. So Joe Douglas has essentially had one draft. And in that draft, that was last year, he did a pretty decent job. I'd give it a B plus. Makai Beckton is probably one of the best rookie tackles in the league. Denzel Mims was nice. Uh, Austin Davis, Ashton Davis, uh, I think a great young safety. Um, the guy Hall out of Virginia, I, I think is a great player as well. He's had a successful. Successful draft. Now they have a surplus of picks. I think they could do a great job with that. Sam Darnold. That's the biggest question. You already pissed off all of your fans by losing out on on Trevor Lawrence. With the game, and I wouldn't say this any other way. If Ohio State would have lost this game, Justin Fields didn't play so well. I'd say okay, maybe take another player. With the way that Justin Fields plays, and if he plays somewhat similar to that extent, even if he loses the game against Alabama. It is going to be very difficult to tell your fan base that we will not be replacing him with a Sam Darnold with Justin Fields because Justin Fields is great. Justin Fields is great. He's a great college player. We know that already. Yeah, I think he was the number one quarterback coming out of high school originally with Georgia and then transferred over to um, Ohio State. It's hard to tell your fan base we're not replacing him with that guy. At the same time, I don't think Sam Darnold, and I'm a Sam Darnold advocate, I don't think he's been the problem. We we want to talk about a team that hasn't given him the proper sources. That's the Jets. The Jets have done nothing. They they slapped together some offensive line and you know made a splurge on the offensive line that was bigger money than any sort of success that actually translated. You had Frank Gore as your starting running back. Love Frank Gore, but guy's like 38 years old. That can't be your starting running back. You have no wide receivers. You have Braxton Barrios essentially starting for you the majority of the season. Sam Darnold missed a lot of time as well. You got rid of everybody. You had opt-outs by C.J. Mosley, which was probably your best defensive player going into the season with the exception of Jamal Adams and then Marcus May over the course of time. They have a lot of of picks. Joe Douglas has stated that Sam Darnold is the guy He keeps on saying that. I really do think he's true to his word. I really don't think they're going to take a quarterback. I hate to say that because I'd love to see Justin Fields in New York or maybe another quarterback. I know people are saying Zach Wilson. But I think Sam Darnold's their guy. I think it's their guy.
1: I agree with you, Kyle. Um, James, I want to get to you here and focus on New England and Cam Newton. Obviously, he had three touchdown passes on Sunday, which that was probably the most he had in a game all year with them. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you think he's back or do you think New England looks to the draft or free agency for a quarterback? I know a name that's been thrown around is Mac Jones, potentially come in for them or they, they, they could try Jared Stidham again or try to sign somebody. What is your overall eva- uh, evaluation on Cam Newton and New England?
2: They, they move on from Cam. Yeah. I think it was more of we, we're having an NFL season. Great. We don't have a quarterback. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see who's available. Oh, Cam Newton. He He's a dual threat. Haven't seen that in New England, if at all, because Brady was more of a pocket passer.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. So look, they're like, why don't we try something new? Which I get. It failed miserably because there was – I can't count how many games on my fantasy league that he had to be injured, had to be pulled from the game because he just looked like hot garbage. Um, He's not the answer there. He's gone. Either they draft or they look elsewhere within the league. They either start trading um, or free agent. I mean, Carson Wentz guy knows what that situation holds if they want to spend that much money on a on a injured prone quarterback at times yeah. do they want to do okay Carson wins to somewhat of a Cam Newton do they look to Chris Herndon that came in for most of the times uh for Cam Newton right no Chris, no.
1: Chris Herndon's the tight end for the Jets
2: Oh, you mean Jared Stidham? J- yeah, Jared Stidham. You know what? Sometimes I get confused when they go <laughs> rolled an out wide and they throw a pass. But they look somewhere else. They yeah. don't stay with Cam. And they, even before Sunday's game, there was r- rumors saying that Cam's yeah. gone.
1: They're, they're so. checked out from him. They're yeah. definitely checked out. And New England will be missing the playoffs for the first time since 2008. Uh, speaking of New England, Tom Brady clinches the 5 seed down south in Tampa Bay. They beat the Atlanta Falcons forty-four twenty to uh, to forty-four two twenty-seven. Bucks go eleven and five for the first time since 'oh five. Brady helping AB get that bonus, and you know this seems like the team of all rejects. You got Leonard Fournette, you got Antonio Brown, you got a bunch of characters down there, and you yeah. know a lot of people are saying they can make some noise in the playoffs. So I'm, I'm really excited for what they got. I think they have a pretty favorable matchup on uh, I believe yeah. Sunday, Saturday evening. Saturday. Yeah. That's the night game against the Washington football team. And, yeah, I I, th- I think Brady's going to be living the life uh, down in D.C. that night.
0: Yeah. Do we know the status of Mike Evans? Because I know he left with, like, a knee injury. We do not. Um, yeah, know,
1: what we do know is Washington and uh, Alex Smith. That's not looking too hot right now. Ron Rivera stated, I believe, yesterday they might have to use a rotation between him and Taylor Heineke in that game, which is not a good, uh, a good sign. I mean, you got to play Smith, but you know, these are the words of their head coach. So uh, that's definitely trouble
0: situation in a playoff game against Tom Brady, but definitely not
1: an ideal situation, but Heineken did play with Rivera in Carolina. There is a little bit of familiarity there. Um, but the one game I want to talk about before we bring up Greg Thompson, who will be joining us at 8 p.m. in just a few moments, folks, of Cover One, Buffalo podcast, Buffalo Bills fan, and Pittsburgh and Cleveland. The Browns win 24-22, clinching their first playoff berth for the first time since 2002. Fun fact, they'll be playing Pittsburgh again this week on Sunday Night Football. They earn themselves a rematch with Pittsburgh, except this time they'll be at Hines Field, not too far from Cleveland anyway, but the bad news for Cleveland, there, there's a lot of bad news despite getting this win. First of all, you barely beat Pittsburgh's backups, number one. Uh, number two, Olivier Vernon tours Achilles, and yeah. that eliminates the element opposite of Miles Garrett. And arg- arguably, your second-best offensive lineman has COVID. Joel Batonio, three-time Pro Bowler, you're not going to have him, and you're not going to have your head coach, Kevin Stefanski.
0: Either, it's so bad for Browns fans. Can you imagine not making the playoffs for that long, and then have all of that crap unfold in one week.
1: I don't because they backed in. I look. Don't don't get me wrong. They won eleven games this year, and they deserve to make the playoffs. But you could also make the argument, and kudos to Kevin Stefanski for making it. Four of their wins came against the NFC East, two against the Bengals, one with Ryan Finley, and then they had nail biters against Jacksonville and Houston.
0: It's true. It's true.
1: But they, yeah. I'll, I'll give them this. They beat Tennessee, and I'm pretty sure they beat the Colts as well.
0: Yeah, they did. So they, they do did.
1: have respectable wins on their resume,
0: and I'm, and we all remember that Baltimore game, in which was probably the best game of the year. But I mean, listen, they've competed, yeah. they've competed very hard. I think that it's going to be much harder now to obviously beat that team. I don't even yeah. who's their head coach now. Uh, the special teams coordinator, uh, I believe that's
1: I want to say. Uh, Mike starts with like a P, yeah, Freifer. Mike Freifer, I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, he will act as the head coach on Sunday night, which uh, I heard somewhere Stefanski is desperate to call plays from home. But I
0: mean, I mean, can can you do that? Can you do that? I don't know. I I don't don't think so. (laughs)
2: because then you're listening to the announcers on TV and you're adjusting play calls and everything oh, else. I didn't think about it you like it is true.
1: Oh man, but it'll be an interesting rematch. We'll uh, you know, we'll preview that more in a little bit. But uh other matchups that were really fun to watch on Sunday again. The game didn't have much implications, but the Vikings did beat the Lions 37 to 35. Rookie receiver Justin Jefferson made a record most receiving yards by a rookie in the Super Bowl era. So congratulations to him, and he's one of the four finalists for Offensive Rookie of the Year, in addition to Justin Herbert, James Robinson, and then who's the fourth? It's on the tip of my tongue. Um, I
0: have no idea. I just knew it was those three. Yeah,
1: Robinson, yeah. Herbert, and then there's one other. Oh, Tua. Tua's the fourth.
0: Really? Yeah. That's him.
1: Yeah, they threw him in there because it probably were a replacement for Burrow realistically speaking. Um, uh, yeah, So impressive win for Minnesota. And then Baltimore destroyed Cincinnati 33 franchise record, 404 rushing yards. They're one of the hottest teams in the league right now. They were seven and five, not looking too hot and go, go on a tear last month of the season. So you'll get more Ravens content and Vikings comment tomorrow on the North Pole from uh, Gabe Flayton, Caitlin McCarthy. They'll, they'll be talking some good stuff, but uh, now we kind of dive into um, – actually, before we get to Miami-Buffalo, I'll, I'll bring up one other game. Jacksonville-Indianapolis Colts won 28-14, and rookie running back Jonathan Taylor, uh, franchise record 253 rushing yards that um, I think regardless if he rushed for that or not, Doug Marone was getting fired regardless, but Doug Marone did get fired on Monday – after four, technically four and a half seasons as the Jaguars yeah. head coach. Um, so I think we all expected that one coming. Jacksonville going one and 15. Whoa, look at this. Devontae Smith just named Heisman Award winner. Uh, I'm going to rely on Andy Hopper to be my reputable source for that. Thank you very much, Andy.
0: When was the last time I right? the Heisman? Or is that when was the last time I yeah. received the Heisman? We know. I don't
1: believe the last receiver to win the Heisman. Oh,
0: I don't even know if it's happened before. I
1: know the last, I mean, Charles Woodson was a defensive guy who who it. I don't remember the last receiver to win the Heisman. That's yeah, that's very impressive for Devontae Smith. Congratulations to him. Uh, first since Desmond Howard, that's who it was, 1991. He did was the last wide receiver to win the Heisman. So awesome, awesome stuff. And, uh, our guest is here backstage, and it looks like he's ready to go, uh, Greg Thompson of Number One Buffalo Podcast. Hello. Welcome. Thank you very much for joining us today.
3: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. It's a, it's a new experience for me being playoff time and people reaching out to me asking if I want to come on their show. This is very new as a Bills person to uh to have that be a, a normal thing now. Uh and I, I think I have two shows tonight, three more tomorrow. It's a it's a, a very new experience for me. Well
0: congratulations, awesome man. Buffalo, Buffalo is a bright future and a bright uh open this playoff representing the AFC. You know, maybe pretty, the the competition of the Chiefs.
3: Uh, yeah, you know, obviously we'll see how far it goes. Uh it's reassuring having somebody like Sean McDermott Leading the way, where he's very into that, you know, got to go one and zero each week, never look past anybody, you know, very very short term thinking. Uh, that's reassuring because the fans are certainly <laughs> way ahead of themselves.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, and thank you much for uh, thank you very much for joining us, folks. If you're sure. watching, remember to go check out the Cover One Buffalo podcast. Uh, Greg, where, where where can the folks find that stream at?
3: Sure uh so uh my friends and I run uh, cover1.net and the cover1 app so you could find um you know Obviously, I focus mainly on the Bills, but we have guys, Eric Turner is one of the best film breakdown guys in the business. Uh, We have a ton of great draft coverage, all kinds of different stuff that's not just Bills focused, even though that's where most of my attention goes. Um, So all kinds of good stuff you can check out there. You can find it uh, at Cover One and the Cover One network. You'll see all of our different shows, all of our different feeds, um, anywhere, YouTube, Periscope, Facebook, all the different places that you can find uh, anything. And then all your normal, you know, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and the Google. Play on iTunes for the Cover One Buffalo Podcast.
1: Love it. Make sure to subscribe to that. Everybody watching, I'll make sure to do that after tonight. And um, Greg, the Bills, they beat the Dolphins, and oh my goodness, they didn't beat them; they <laughs> slumped them, fifty-six points. And of course, we know Miami was for, uh, one of five teams competing for four playoff spots in the AFC on Sunday. They were the odd one out. They will pick third overall in the 2021 draft. Um, however, the Bills finished 13 and three, making the playoffs for the third time in four years since Sean McDermott came over as the head coach in Buffalo, and this is their first AFC East title since 1995. Congratulations, getting that two seed. Yeah. Um, I've got to ask you, what's changed as far as them consistently making the playoffs up there? What what has changed?
3: Um, so obviously, sustainability in the NFL is from leadership, and the fact that all three guys at the same time, you have Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, and Josh Allen, that's where those things come from. So obviously, early on, it was very much in spite of Josh Allen um, and, you know, the talent that they built around him, the players they signed, you know, the first two free agents that were signed when they walked in the door were Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. You know, that's a pretty strong foundation. Then you follow it up. Your first two draft picks are Tredavious White and Deion Dawkins. Um, you know, that that's a pretty good foundation to lay. Then the next year you come back, you sign John Brown and Cole Beasley. You sign John Feliciano. Your first two draft picks are Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds you know if you come in and start making hits like that to put put things together you're going to have an opportunity to turn things around so it it came at the time a franchise was completely bereft of talent which on the downside meant there was nothing in the cupboard on the upside it meant there were no bad contracts there were no overpaid players there were no guys coming up on an extension that you're not sure if you should pay or not. They got to pretty much start from scratch and then rebuilt it. So right now, Jerry Hughes and long snapper Reed Ferguson are the only two players that are on the roster pre-Bean and McDermott, um, and they've been able to to run with it from there.
1: That's awesome. I know uh, we're rooting for Buffalo in the playoffs as well as native New Yorkers, so that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, as you I, you can obviously <laughs> see, see my background, but um,
0: Kyle <laughs> – yeah, Greg. Well, first off, uh, obviously, congratulations. Obviously, as a native New Yorker and my team in the New York Giants not representing us very well this year, I'm rooting for your Buffalo Bills this year. And hopefully, uh, as I said earlier, hopefully a good fee potentially for the Kansas City Chiefs as they potentially can get to that AFC Championship level. But let's not hype it up too much. Don't want to sure. jump something. One second. <laughs> but Josh Allen, you know, with the exception of guys like Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, has been right up there. Putting up MVP caliber numbers this year, just in his just in year three.
3: But talk about his development this year, and what impresses you the most about him? So the development is what impresses me the most. It's it's kind of inherent in, in what's gone on. And early on, when he was drafted, and you know, I, I'm very comfortable with analytics with the statistical analysis that showed why people said he had the highest probability of any top ten pick to bust they weren't wrong he did like the the statistical models don't lie he really had the highest probability the things that they didn't know and the reason that the team was jockeying all day to trade up for him and fell in love with him is because they met the individual the person they saw the humility the work ethic the willingness to be coached the fact that the guy's going to rip his mechanics down to the studs and rebuild them with Jordan Palmer every offseason you know i joke all the time that Josh Allen is what Jeff George or Jamarcus Russell could have been, or were supposed to be. Um, Just they walked in and assumed, no, I already have this God's gift attached to my right shoulder. I don't need to worry about any of the rest of this stuff. And instead, he treats himself like an undrafted free agent that's having to completely earn every single rep, every single day, and going through those things. So even seeing that from the first two years, I was confident there was another jump coming Anybody who told you they saw this coming is either on drugs or lying. Yeah, either one. It's <laughs> even the most optimistic fans telling you that he was going to be honestly a pretty fair debate for MVP in the NFL, and at worst third, but probably going to end up coming in second in MVP voting. Nobody saw that. Nobody saw that coming. So the fact that he's been able to put this together and gone on this kind of run is every Bills fan's, you know, greatest fantasy of, of what we can put together here because in today's NFL, quarterback success is what makes you sustainable as a franchise. So feeling like you've hit on that guy, um, it's just really exciting that this is hopefully the first of many runs, but you know, putting that together with the, the health and all the things that they have going for him now, hopefully they can cash in while he's on his rookie contract.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more and couple comments. Hank says, really been impressed with Buffalo's turnaround. They seem hungry, and I like their chances. I agree with you, Hank. And I think one other comment is Sal says uh, maybe the Jets and the G-Men can, can learn. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so it, I, let me chime in on that for yeah, something yeah. your, your I mean, listeners will, will want to hear. I'm excited as a Bills fan about what Josh Allen has established. There's going to be good news and bad news is going to come from that. The good news is there's going to be a couple quarterbacks that would have been given up, up on too quickly that are going to get that third year to see, you want to know what? Maybe if we build right, maybe if we put the right talent and the right weapons around him, maybe we got one more year there. From a you know a selfish standpoint, there's going to be a handful of head coaches and GMs who get fired thinking that they can just wait and find the next Josh Allen. He didn't have the largest historical improvement in NFL history And all of a sudden, that's just how that's going to work now and more people are going to do that. That, That's probably not what's going to happen. I will say, one of the guys that I think is worth that third year, I think, is Daniel Jones. I think that when there's so much based on athletic talent and traits and you're kind of trying to bring it together and you're not sure where it's going to come out, but you know that the upside is an elite athlete with elite arm talent, those are the guys that are worth waiting on. When it's hey, you know, it's it's, you know, timing and accuracy and and pinpoint ability, that's stuff you should see pretty quickly. Like if if Baker Mayfield wasn't good right off the bat, he was never going to be good cuz he was already fully formed into what he was going to be. It was like he was either going to be good or he was never going to be good. Someone like Jones is closer to that Allen mold where there's a chance you might not see his best ball until his third year. So I, not that I'm predicting that that's what's going to happen, but those are the guys who deserve a little bit more time. And maybe Josh has, you know, cracked that door open a little bit for some of them. That's
1: definitely so. an interesting I so. take. Uh, I agree with you, Greg, Ky- Kyle and I have very differing views on Daniel Jones. <laughs> we, we bought heads every single week in phone calls and hours, but back to the bills, because um, I know you have a busy schedule tonight. I just want to say Josh Allen, obviously the accolades speak for itself. First player in NFL history to have over 4,500 pass yards, 35 touchdown passes and five rushing touchdowns in a single year. And a lot of that is because they finally brought in a number one wide receiver and Stefan Diggs, who has racked up a lot of those numbers. He's been great. This offense has averaged over 31 points per game this year. Good enough for second in the league. Diggs, I mean, he led the NFL in catches. He can't ask for much more. And in yards, too, how do you evaluate his first year in Buffalo and what he's been able to do? Uh,
3: similar to my comments on Josh, like, uh, even the most optimistic Bills fans, I don't know that anybody saw 127 for 1,500 yards <laughs> coming in. So I was pretty excited. And so coming into the year with obviously slightly tempered expectations for Josh, I was excited because a guy like Stefan Diggs – is such a good route runner, he can visually flash open. In the NFL, open is normally, hey, the cornerback's just here off of you, and you know that's open enough. No, he roasts dudes, and like you can see him open, and nobody's near him. That, in my mind, was a gift for somebody like Josh Allen with the arm talent where he might not anticipate the throw, but he's like, oh, I see Stephon Diggs over there, and he can get the ball there before the DB can break on it. Um, what happened was he's done that. And Josh took three steps forward in his ability to read progressions and anticipate throws. Another, you know, underestimated piece of it is the Bills had a solid receiving core before that. You know, John Brown put up wide receiver one numbers last year, even though he's not truly a wide receiver one in anybody else's offense. But he, you know, put up 1,200 yards and 68 catches and a, a nice season. Cole Beasley was a really nice number two receiver. Well, now when you bump him down to John Brown as your number two receiver and Cole Beasley is your number three and Gabe Davis comes aboard as a rookie, now all of a sudden everybody's one notch down. So when the defense has to pay that much attention to, uh, to Stephon Diggs, well, you can't cover John Brown one-on-one with no safety help. And, hey, you can't put a linebacker on Cole Beasley. And now when you give teams that choice and they're like, oh, you're right, we can't do that, we better tilt a little bit back. Well, you just left Stephon Diggs in single coverage and there's no human on earth who can do that. It was just It's turned into this genuine pick-your-poison where if you don't have a really great scheme – um, There's just not a combination that's able to get them covered at the same time, and he unlocked that by, you know, adding somebody at the top rather than maybe drafting somebody and hoping they could contribute as the year went on. He unlocked it from game one. So
2: we see Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis, which you just mentioned, that are two contributors to the offense. Talk about their con- con- complementary receivers and the relationship with Allen. Since we did see Cole Beasley uh, before Stephon Diggs, he was somewhat of a part within that offense. But this year, at least for me, I'm probably sure Tom and Kyle would agree, we've seen Cole Beasley just blossom and kind of, like, grow within this offense and, like, put up these numbers that, as Giant fans, we never really saw him and Dallas do that.
3: So what they figured out was they had an answer – No matter what the defense was going to do. So, if you're going to go zone, you can pretty much bracket Stefan Diggs and be able to manage it. And that's where you saw some of those, you know, five for 58, seven for 72 games where, like, hey, you still get, you know, he's going to get the ball, but it's not going to rip things wide open. But when you do that, there's no player in the NFL who finds spots in the zone better than Cole Beasley. So he had games with you know 12 catches for 130 yards because teams just refused to get out of zone. And they're like, okay, we'll just let him keep finding openings. And you combine his ability to run option routes with Josh having the strongest arm in the NFL. He's going to get it there before you can do anything about it. So then you would pivot and you'd have games where teams run man. And if you have a good slot corner, you, you can cover Cole Beasley. Like it's not, he's not some elite out of this world athlete, but then when you do that, that means you're going man and Stefan Diggs or John Brown and they would get you. Or if you really had good coverage and we would go, you know, 10 personnel and run four wide, well, Gabe Davis will get you over the top and he ends up with seven touchdowns. Um, so it just ended up being able to give them those options as they go. So in the games where you had zone heavy defense defenses we knew going in this is going to be a huge Cole Beasley game and he's going to be able to eat and he had enough of those where short of him getting dinged up here you know um second to last game of the year he would have had a thousand yard season and would have had a really nice total but we're just hoping he comes back for the playoffs yeah now, to, to top off on that, uh,
0: Gabriel Davis, I just want to say, you, you got a great one. I thought he was the most undervalued receiver in last year's draft at a UCF. I thought he was unbelievable. I'm glad you did because I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was undervalued, but that's just me. But now switching gears from the offense to the defense, guys like Trey, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, Davis, White, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, uh, Matt Milano, the list goes on and on, Jerry Hughes, a great defense that we saw improve upon the second half of the season. What do you
3: believe got these guys clicking on all cylinders? So there was a lot of injuries early. Um, you know, Trey White got hurt in the third game. We Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds both got hurt in the first game. Edmonds kind of, you know, pushed through it. Milano missed almost half the season. Um, you had, we didn't have the same secondary for consecutive games until like the ninth game of the year. So there were always bits and pieces missing the only group that was healthy was the defensive line where it was half new players. So we were had to replace Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson. They did, they brought in Mario Addison and Vernon Butler and, and Quentin Jefferson, but they were all new and didn't have the chemistry, you know, running suns off each other and things like that. So the combination of the injuries, new players coming out of camp, it was a huge step back. I mean, the bills that had a top three or four defense for four years in a row, it was a huge step back. So, At first, we were like, all right, well, I guess our offense is scoring a lot. This is cool. But, man, they're giving up a lot of points. And then had some rough games there in the middle. And then all of a sudden, as we came down this crazy stretch that the Bills have ended the season on, they started to get everybody healthy. They had really weird luck. I actually posted a a tweet earlier coming out of uh, week eight uh, where they barely beat the Patriots and Cam fumbled as they were going into the end zone and the Bills recovered it to lock up the win. Um Coming into that game, they had 17 guys in the injury report, and it was just madness of trying to keep track of everything. Well, they somehow went through there with having the least guys in the NFL go on season-ending IR, so they kind of had to muddle through it for a while, but right now, besides Cole Beasley, they've basically gotten everyone back. So they've been able to do that. And as they did that, you started to regain it. And it's not back to where it was the you know last couple of years, top three or top four. But now they're much closer to a top 10 or 12 defense. And they're really aggressive and opportunistic. So that, I think, is more on the coaching. Where before, Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier had to figure out Hey, how can we keep it close enough not to let this offense mess it up? Because we can't give up any extra possessions. We can't be too aggressive. Because if we give up a big play, we can't come back. Well, now, like, yeah, we could send a blitz or try to, you know, pull something crazy. Because if they score, we'll just catch up. It's no big deal. (laughs) And they've never had that. They've never had the opportunity. Or now, if they go for it and they pick off a ball and you give us an extra possession and we go up by two scores, you're done because you're not going to catch up. We're just going to keep scoring enough that you're not going to be able to catch up. They're able to be really aggressive doing that. And they've never had that before. So having that combination, you know, finally having the talent they added, get healthy, add it with an aggressive offense that lets them maybe call some plays. They have been able to call some before you're able to get to where they are now, where the yards aren't perfect. They have a lot of those you know, garbage time stats at the end of the game, but the, turnovers, the big plays, the sacks are starting to matter and when you get extra possessions for an offense that's clicking the way they are it's really working out
1: Definitely uh, great analysis and uh, I just, I kind of wanted to tie that into like Miami's game last week defensively, they forced 3-2 at interception so that was definitely very impressive
3: Four more got dropped
1: Yeah <laughs> that, that was definitely a fun game to analyze over on Sunday and then Sean McDermott, I think this is a credit to him because Obviously, we know that he was a former defensive assistant under Jim Johnson and then became Philadelphia's defensive coordinator, and he's pretty much been elevated ever since. Now, he's been there since 2017. I think he's a great leader. Talk about the job that he's done in the front office because Brandon Bean was just named Pro Football Executive of the Year today. So between those two guys, talk about just the job that they've done. Over the
3: last couple of years, yeah, it's it's pretty special. Um, Obviously, you know, kind of the cherry on top of a trade like Stefan Diggs—that's the kind of thing that'll get you Executive of the Year. I I actually think McDermott deserves Coach of the Year as much or more th- than Beans' accolades. Um, There's other guy, you know, you depending on where your expectations were with what Brian Flores did or Stefanski or, or Tomlin or other people, th- there are other deserving candidates. But I certainly think Sean McDermott deserves to be in that talk with putting together a 13-3 season, most wins in team history, tied for the most wins since the Super Bowl era, and going through that kind of run, he is painfully competitive about everything, like every single little thing. He's never going to give away any little information. He's going to treat every single game at a very high degree of seriousness. He overlooks no one, um, Early on in the year, before this later run kind of put it to rest, but at one point you could question had he beat big-time teams, big-time coaches, higher end. The thing, if you look back, he never slips up when it's a team they're supposed to beat. They don't give away any games against teams they're supposed to win. In games where they're, it just came up because of the playoffs, in games where they're a six and a half or seven point favorite or above, he's never lost. He's never lost a game where they're supposed to win. Now, obviously, they they lose games. They use that flawless. He doesn't give up games he's supposed to win because he's very regimented, One game at a time, never look forward, don't overlook anyone. Takes a lot of the Belichick cliches from press conferences, praises every team that they're playing, and says how great they are. Talks about how we can only focus on this one thing at a time. Stuff like that matters. I I think he's still relentless in film breakdown. Like, you know, in games where you're still winning 56 26 or the last three games where they've just torn apart the Broncos, the Patriots, and the the Dolphins. He's still picking stuff apart and raking them over the coals in film study and telling them what they could have done better or what's not good enough. And sometimes, especially with a team like the Bills, where you have such a history of a chip on their shoulder, the nobody believes in us, the you're not good enough. People joke about the stuff from Nick Wright or Skip Bayless or talking heads like that. He puts that stuff on a loop in the, in the uh, workout rooms, in the locker room, and he just puts it up on the board running on the loop and says, see, it doesn't matter how good you're doing. They still don't believe in you. They still don't think you're good enough. What you've done still isn't enough. Look, they're still talking about you and saying how you're not good enough. He's going to feed that forever. So um, it's getting a little bit harder now that they're playing really well, <laughs> but uh, he's still finding ways to do it, and, and right now it's working with this locker room. Now, Greg, I, I think they are good enough having the second-best offense in the NFL this
0: year. But the worst part about winning is that, you know, with a a well-oiled machine in which Buffalo Bills have assembled, all 31 other teams want pieces of your operation that make it run so smoothly. And I think you know what I'm alluding to when I say, in Brian Dabble, the offensive coordinator, do you believe that he will become a head coach come 2021?
3: It's really hard for me not to see it, that some owner – is going to say, "Wow, look what he did with Josh Allen! Imagine if he comes and does that for our guy." Um, I don't know if it's quite that simple. I think there was a pretty special cocktail of circumstances that that produced Josh's results. But at minimum, he's a piece of it. it you know, he's been a really good play caller, really open to. What works best for Josh what works best for the receivers what the heck he lets Cole Beasley and Stefan Diggs bring in plays that they want to run and they think are going to work Um, he lets Josh call a lot of the plays during the game Um, and he's really great at the matchup based game plans he doesn't go in and say nope this is what we do and that's what we're going to do he truly goes after what does this defense do the worst and how can we take advantage of that Um, that's going to translate in most places The biggest thing I don't know, and so I just did a a couple shows with some people for Carolina and for uh, the Chargers because they heard about the interviews that Dable was in for, uh, sorry, for Carolina was the GM for Joe Shane, but those same ideas of of talking about the candidates coming up. And I said, I don't have anything negative to say. I don't know where he is from a leadership persona and like the it factor kind of stuff because Sean McDermott is such a controlling person personality in in that structure like it's his show everything is exactly what he says I'd like to think that he's picked up from that on how to build infrastructure how to build those things I know his offensive mind is going to translate if he can get into the right situation he would be very much in my mind like a McVay was with Wade Phillips. If you give him a head coach of the defense kind of guy and let him just run with the offense, I think it could be a really good setup. He's he's a really bright mind. He's worked, you know, all of his mentorship is under Belichick and Nick Saban and now hit it out of the park here with this season for the Bills. Um, I think he deserves it. I think he should. And if we're being honest, from a, a stock standpoint, he'd be crazy to roll the dice again and not cash in right now. Like it's going to be hard pressed for him to look better than he does coming out of this season. So I've tried to talk to some bills fans off the ledge that our only shot is like Eric B last year for the chiefs, the bills go on a long playoff run. You have some impatient owners, Dable is one of the really good candidates, but he's not the only one. Other good guys happen to get hired, and Arthur Smith gets a job, and somebody gives Urban Meyer an obscene amount of money, or some weird stuff happens. Uh, People give Marvin Lewis another job, all kinds of weird stuff like that, and all of a sudden, all the jobs dry up and we're still playing. That's our best-case scenario, because otherwise it's hard-pressed for me to think he doesn't get a gig. So... I just wanted to thank you uh, for coming on. But our very last
2: question, I'm going to combine two different questions. Um, so you guys play the Colts. Uh, it's a big challenge on Sunday with top 10 offense, top 10 defense. We saw what they've done throughout the season. Um, but on top of that, we got some good news. There's actually going to be fans within the stadium, around 6,700-ish. Um, in the wildcard game, how happy are you to see fans within the the stadium again and how is that going to only help you with a top 10 defense offense coming in like the Colts
3: so obviously you know Bills fans are crazy people so being able to have the the opportunity to see it's it's such it's so ironic that the best season in 25 years is the one season that Bills fans can't see them in person It's, it's there's a weird element to that so I'm ecstatic that at least some it's kind of a gesture it's not enough that it's you know it's not 70,000 um but it's it's something so yeah. i think the energy it can bring the team and having that be the first time the team has gotten that energy in person i think is a thing i think that's a net positive that they're going to have that um then you add in going into it you know the culture of a tough team i think that you know if you're going to come up with an upset recipe for the bills it's going to be a team with a really good defensive line who can get to Josh before he throws the ball. They can get some turnovers and then get a good positive game script with a good running game and go on 12 or 15 play drives and just keep the ball out of the offense's hands. Indy has those ingredients. You know, I don't think that's the most likely thing to happen in this game. I think eventually they won't have the horses to keep up with the receivers in the passing game <laughs> and eventually the Bills will score more points than they will. Um, but I don't think this is going to be a blowout. I don't think it's going to be I don't think they're going to stop the Colts from scoring. I think they're going to score points. I just think the Bills will score more as it goes along. But they have the pieces to do it. So I'm, I'm hopeful that the run that they're on, they're hot, they're healthy, they're fresh, being able to rest guys the last couple games, and now coming into it with fans in the stands for the first time, I, I'm I'm feeling pretty good about this game. There's still a lot of good games to be played as they go forward, but um, I'll, I'll certainly be disappointed if they don't come through with this one. Greg,
1: thank you very much for joining us tonight. Excellent analysis. Make sure to go check him out, host of the Cover One Buffalo podcast at cover cover1.net. Greg, thank you very much. Good luck to your bills on Sunday.
3: And we really it. appreciate your time. Awesome. Had a great time, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, best of luck and uh, ha- hopefully happy to come on again sometime. We'll talk more. Awesome. Thank, thank you man. so much. Thank, thank you. Guys.
1: That was Greg Thompson of the uh, Cover One Buffalo podcast. Excellent interview. As you can see, every Buffalo Bills content creator is running like like a chicken with no head this week, bouncing from interview to interview. Guys, the Bills have not been this hot of a topic in quite some time. It's been since 1993 that the Bills have earned this high of a seed in the AFC playoffs, and he just messaged me saying he had a ton of fun on Twitter. So that was awesome. We'll make sure to cut this interview up and post it on our YouTube channel at Reven preview sports. If you want to check out the full ex- exclusive interview, it'll be up there later on uh, up there later on tonight. Thank you very much, Greg and Kyle and James great interview as well. But you know, I kind of just wanted to say the Colts do have weapons. Jonathan Taylor. We saw what he did last week. Naheem Hines, a running back who had 63 catches this year. And then T.Y. Hilton had a hot second half of the year, not to mention their stout defense, Darius Leonard, who, you know, a lot of people say he's the best linebacker in football. I wouldn't argue against that. The Forrest Buckner coming over from San Francisco last year had nine and a half sacks. Justin Houston, a veteran, former chief, eight sacks, and Kenny Moore leads them with four interceptions. And mm-hmm. it's funny because their head coach Frank Reich is an admitted Bills fan. So th- this is this is gonna be really crazy. Uh, On Saturday, this is the first playoff game of the season of the weekend. This probably will be the best game of the weekend, in my opinion.
0: I think it'll definitely be one to watch, definitely an exciting one uh, of the group that we have put together. But, uh, like Greg said, I'm really excited for like this Buffalo team because, I mean, when you look at this AFC from top to bottom, it's the Bills and really the Chiefs. Maybe you could rival Baltimore being hot, but the Bills are, in my opinion, the real competition to taking down the, uh, the uh the Super Bowl champions in the Kansas City Chiefs so really looking forward to what the Bills have to bring to the table and hopefully we see a good uh first game of the season first playoff game of the season
1: yeah I'm definitely looking forward to it and uh James and Kyle we'll move on now with the rest of some of these week 17 games we'll recap Tennessee and Houston we got to talk about that big hog man best back in the league Derrick Henry eclipsing 2,000 yards the king on the year – yeah, and it was crazy. The closest running back to him this year, yardage-wise, was Dalvin Cook, and it was over 500 yards. So that's just insane for Derrick Henry, and the Titans win the AFC South title for the first time in 12 years. Uh, trivia question for both of you. Who was the quarterback of the Tennessee Titans back in 2008, last time they won the, the division?
0: Uh, was it McNair? No. Young, nope. God, <laughs> this god. is gonna
1: be fun. This is gonna be funny when I say it.
0: Is it so, it's not obvious,
1: then, is it? It's not. Is mean, it Remember, they were the one seed, it was an old Kerry Collins, guys.
0: Oh, god, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. If Hank was watching, he got that one, and he, he sure did. You sure sure,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much for watching tonight, Hank. Uh, folks, make sure to share the stream with your friends as we go over these games. Green Bay and Chicago. Uh, Green Bay locks up home field advantage and the first round bye in the NFC, defeating Chicago 35-16. to It seemed like the Bears backed into the playoffs, guys. They, they only got in because Arizona lost, threw up a dud against John Wolford. Uh, I was not impressed with the Cardinals.
0: But not the, the Bears
1: either.
0: I mean, we were we were hearing um, talk to Kyler Murray. You know, he wasn't playing healthy, and I believe that to an extent. Um, but losing to the backup, them, which they put out there, in the Rams, and it wasn't by slight either. It Was by it was what like an eighteen to seven defeat. Yeah. So it was just yeah. a ugly game all around. So not. A, I would have liked to see the Cardinals make it. I know we were talking about in the beginning of the season how in the NFC West, you know, all the could have made it in there, especially with the expanded playoff but. It would have been nice to see the Cardinals make it. I think Kyla Murray being hurt. They play a factor and agree, a complete agreement upon what you said, Tom, about Chicago kind of backing in. We know that the Green Bay Packers always kill the Bears. I mean, that's just a thing that, that happens in the NFC um, in the North. It's just a thing that goes with that. Um, the Bears have assembled some nice wins since they've reinstated Mitch Trubisky as the starting quarterback. Uh, I think they've really developed a strong offense. Lee Montgomery's looked very stout as well. Allen Robinson has looked good guys like, Anthony Miller and uh, Darnell Mooney have looked good. Jimmy Graham has kind of reassembled his career in Chicago. And we obviously know what the uh, defense brings to the table as well. So I know they play the same. That should be an interesting matchup. I think it's a lot closer than people may argue. Yeah. Yeah, no. uh,
1: Absolutely. I completely agree. Although it's kind of funny. The the Bears game is on Nickelodeon. just goes to show you how uh, (laughs) – I was texting Bears fan Andy Hopper, who's always popping in our comments section. Um, he's going to be on the North Pole tomorrow as well with Gabe Fleet. And we, we All three of us know Andy really well and how animated he is about Chicago Bears, about the sports, uh, about life. But uh, the Bears <laughs> are going to be on Nickelodeon. and uh, I, I think it's kind of funny because a lot of people are overlooking the Bears and what they could do. Remember, the Saints flopped last year. Against, yep. the, against the Minnesota Vikings, and you're going to have a backfield that hasn't practiced all week, in Kamara, Latavius
0: Murray, they're going to play. Some, but- some some breaking news real quick. Sorry to cut you off, Tom, but Nick Casario has been stated as the new GM for the Houston Texans. So, oh. getting to a hot start already in the market of a search for a GM. So, I know Maybe we were that. talking about last night for the Giants, so that theory has been demolished,
1: but. He's one of the two guys that I I would have potentially liked.
0: Yeah. But they got a good GM. They got a good GM now. So hopefully that works out for the Texans, and hopefully they find their next coach as well as their next step in the rebuilding program. Yeah.
1: James, let's talk Seahawks 49ers. Uh, Seattle, they're a team that has looked dead the last three weeks offensively. It's
2: it's looked disgusting. I mean (laughs) – listen after we defeated them realistically in my my world of nfl i really haven't heard much of them i mean besides blowing out the jets pretty easily the week after we crushed we beat them i mean dj metcalf DK. dk yes dk metcalf after we played him I haven't really yeah. heard any major news come out of him besides what it says here Metcalf over 13,000 receiving yards. 1300, yeah. 1, receiving yards. Like, that's it. Like, that's all I've heard. Their defense is just an up and down roller coaster in my yeah. mind. Yes, they've improved, they also taken steps back. That's not helpful going in the playoffs. I mean, San Francisco. You should just be able to pretty much walk over San Francisco. I yeah, mean, come exactly. on. And they they win by three points. Yep. yep. I, they're it, they're just not going to go. I mean, they and they played the right.
0: this game too. They didn't take the lead until uh.
2: What was it, like the, or the fourth quarter?
0: Fourth quarter. Two minutes left. The yeah. fourth quarter is when the lead. Look out for Jeff Wilson
1: next year. And, no, I'm I'm serious about this. I don't know what's going to happen with Raheem Mostert, but Jeff Wilson might be the next best thing coming out of San Francisco. That man can run. Uh, granted, yeah. any running back seems like they could run behind Frisco's O-line. But, um, hey, I'm going to tell you something. He, he scored 50 points last week, and if you were uh, – you know, a little bit over half of the population in the championship game, including myself, did not start him, and that uh cost some people a lot of money. So <laughs>
2: that hurt you, didn't you, Tom?
1: Thanks, yeah.
2: Um, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, yeah,
1: I was already out of it, so that that was um, see, that was a really rough night for me because I had Jarvis Landry starting, then he got put on the COVID list, and then my replacement for him would have been Devontae Parker, who was questionable, and then he ended up getting ruled out like 30 minutes later. So that really kind of ticked me off on, on Saturday night. Uh, yeah, so that, that – that I was playing Rummikub out in Wontaw and, and literally I'm getting these pop-ups on my phone of Landry and Parker. But, uh, however, not to be biased, I don't think that was the best career move. I don't envy anyone that has to clean up the major mess Bill O'Brien
2: made. No.
1: Do you disagree with Hank or do you agree with Hank?
0: Uh. Maybe I wrote that wrong. Put it back up there real quick. Uh, yeah. So, and however, not to be biased, I don't think that was the best career move. On NBA. And then I mean, it's true. He set them back. I don't need. They don't even have a first round pick this year. I mean, they would have been picking three overall. and Now they got well, Miami pick. So that's it's rough because I don't know if you guys saw it. It was all over Instagram this morning. JJ Watt is walking with the Sean Watson back in the locker room. He's literally saying sorry. Like, I'm sorry that we – wait. he literally said, I'm sorry that we wasted a year of your career. Do you you know how bad you have to be to say that to your own teammate as a team? I mean, mean, it's
1: not Watt's fault, but he's the one speaking up on behalf of the team.
0: No, it's not Watt's fault. Watt is great. Watt is older, so he can't do what he did back in, like, the early, mid-2010s. But, my God, they – besides Deshaun Watson, that team was absolutely lifeless this year. They just did nothing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it
1: took them twelve weeks to learn how to properly utilize David Johnson. So, and that—that's who Bill O'Brien traded for. So, it goes to show how good yep. of an acquisition that was. But <laughs> anyway, we'll uh, move along the list here. Broncos Raiders. I mean, that—that that was a last-second hurrah for Vegas. Congratulations, uh, Josh Jacobs arrested for DUI. So I guess they had too much fun celebrating. A win after three, four straight losses, starting six and three, finishing eight and eight. Congratulations. Go take your uh, meet your your mediocre bath and come back in 2021 better. John Gruden will be on the hot seat heading into 2021. Yeah, uh, for sure. Ten-year deal. I don't know, man. They got faith in that guy. Man, I was going mm-hmm. say right now, the Raiders are one of the worst second-half teams in the NFL over the past three years. They've been oh, a yeah. I mean, we saw how
0: they beat the Jets. So yeah. I, mean, I, I used to
1: live with the Raiders fan. I'm gonna tell you, it's it's uh it's tough. Yeah, not, not something you want to endure. But anyway, John Elway takes an elevated role as uh the Broncos will be in the market for a new GM. Chargers Chiefs, Chargers win 38-21, but the Chiefs did lock up a first-round buy, a number one seed. Uh Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn fired after four seasons now. The real debate is: Can Justin Herbert win Offensive Rookie of the Year? Because, I mean, his toughest competition right now is probably Justin Jefferson. I don't think James Robinson. All, all due respect to him and Tua, really pose much of a threat. I think you got to give it to Herbert at this point. I think even if Burrow didn't get hurt, I, I still think you got to give it to Herbert.
0: He's no, Herbert I mean Justin Jefferson was incredible this year. There's no doubt. I mean breaking Randy Moss's record, but I mean having having Justin Herbert, he broke yeah rookie records he and he shattered that the rookie passing touchdown record was like 28 he passed for 31 and then have five rushing touchdowns to add on top of it yeah the Chargers are a team that should have made the playoffs with the exception of you know Anthony Lynn just not knowing how to coach the last fourth quarter of the game the Chargers just can't close games otherwise they'd just be they'd be in the playoffs we'd be talking about them right now yeah
1: that's uh, de- definitely a, a fair point. James, Saints-Panthers, that was an interesting game. No uh, running backs for the Saints outside of Ty Montgomery and, I mean, I guess Taysom Hill. I know they yeah. elevated somebody for the practice squad, but the Saints were able to hold their own, win the game, lock up the two seed in the NFC, winning 33-7. to seven.
2: Yeah, Saints were able to – I mean, they were facing Carolina. Not a big surprise that this game was going to be a blowout. A um, little concerning for their running back course since since it's super wild card weekend. There's two days of wild card. Yeah. Um, I think they get the outcome of Sunday. So Kamara and I believe the rest of the running back squad will be eligible to play, uh, which is good. But Drew Brees really didn't need Alvin Kamara. He didn't need Michael Thomas. He went for three touchdowns. Um, even you could have probably sat Brees out at some points and just had Taysom Hill run the show because we've seen yeah. what he was when Brees was down. And he's a running back and a quarterback within himself. He could have just ran the whole show and just crushed the Carolina Panthers himself. True.
1: That's a good point. Drew Brees rumored to retire at the end of the year, and it seems more likely at this point. But uh, moving on, I know we're going to talk about this a lot on Thursday when we have you guys on Big Blue, but we'll spend five minutes on the Giants and then two to three minutes on the Washington game. Uh, So right now, Giants win – 23-19 23-19 against Dallas. They finished the season 4-2 and two against the NFC East, snapped their three-game losing streak, and beat Dallas for the first time in four years. Leonard Williams had three sacks in the game. Giants as a team had six sacks on Andy Dalton. I thought they did a great job neutralizing Zeke, only 42 rushing yards, and no wide receiver had over 50 receiving yards. And I, I kind of want you guys to analyze for me, the job that Patrick Graham did this season, Uh, you know, great additions in Blake and Bradbury and Xavier McKinney with the game-winning pick. I mean, the the defense just came into fruition every single week in the year of 2020.
0: I mean, Patrick Graham has been absolutely phenomenal. And um, as I broke earlier before the show, um, yeah, I don't think we said it it on the show yet, but Patrick Graham has been extended by the New York Giants as their defensive coordinator. So he will not, be having an interview as a head coach for the New York Jets. Sorry, Jet fans, but the Giants have to be good as well. Um, Very, very happy about that. And I've been saying it since probably about week seven or something like that. This is a Super Bowl playoff caliber defense. It has all the aspects and pieces to be that good, and yet they're missing some key additions. You know, we thought the secondary was going to be a lackluster. Well, the Giants have held pretty much every single team around 25 points or lower. In pretty much every game in which they played, Blake Martinez has been fantastic. I think we could all say that the Leonard Williams trade has panned out successfully. Obviously, it's based on the fact of you know, if they sign him back, which I would be shocked if they don't. Um, Blake Martinez, James Bradbury, Pro Bowl corner, excellent addition. Other guys like Kyla Fackrell as well. Um, Tate Crowder, Mr. Irrelevant coming into his own, which is a nice surprise. Dexter Lawrence, second year of him. That's been nice as well. Just a lot of great young pieces on this defense to build around and having Patrick Graham there. I don't know how long the extension was, but, you know, if he's there for another two years, that would be really nice for this Giants team.
2: Yeah, no, I would happen to agree with you, Kyle. I mean, this defense just looked phenomenal. It's nice to see our defense is able to finally shut down Zeke for the amount of years that he's put up 100-plus yards pretty much twice a season against us. It's great to see. Martinez should be a, a pro baller. Don't yeah. understand why, and somebody on the offense is. Uh, that's this guy. We yeah. could go on yeah. for years with that, and uh, still not know the reason. And then seeing McKinney back on the field, he was hurt. Get him back, which was great to see. Um, having pretty much that game-winning interception, it was nice to see him get somewhat back within the field. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing him full 17 games next season, um, possibly an extra game depending on how the NFL wants to do it. But this defense looks phenomenal. Just all we need is somebody on the opposite side of Bradbury and we're locked. Yeah, I'd agree.
1: Yeah. I mean, I too, I I mean,
2: I think, both of
1: our top edge rushers were hurt heading into this yes. year, uh, Carter and Ziminez. So the lack of edge rush could have been due to uh, just lack of Kaiser. We had healthy on the field at that position, and I think you're right, James. The number one need on defense is a corner, and then you could evaluate the edge position. But uh, even then, Logan Ryan, Julian Love, it kind of made you forget about that second corner position. When you look at the way yeah. the defense played this year, the lack of edge rushing was more noticeable than the second cornerback position. Yeah. Uh that's just my take on that. But now we move into Daniel Jones. And uh, where do you guys stand on him heading into 2021? Obviously, he had one of his better games of the season on Sunday, two touchdown passes. He did lose a fumble. Well, the fumble was really Goldman's, but they charged it to him. It was on the exchange to Goldman. And then the interception, yeah. I mean, you could argue that was Ingram not being able to haul in the pass. But um, overall, I mean, I thought it was a good game. Shepard had two touchdowns, one rushing, one receiving, and then he was able to get the ball to Dante Pettis for a score as well. Uh, evaluate Jones not just in this game but in this season overall.
0: In this game, this was probably his best or one of his best overall games um, of the 2020 season. Uh, from, a, from a season overall, you know, uh, and we'll talk about this more in depth on Thursday, but just quickly from my standpoint, I don't think he's the guy – I just don't. You can't – I don't see the argument for a guy that had 11 touchdown passes and 11 fumbles could possibly be your guy. And that was year two. You know, it was, it's, there was really no – I don't – the problem is I didn't see any improvement. I saw a bunch of decline. Yes, he stopped the turnovers at some points in time. You know, we'll get more in-depth on Thursday on my analysis of the situation. But I just don't see it being the guy. And I'm a guy that's advocating for drafting a quarterback this year. I think what – Dave Gediman being confirmed now coming back at the GM position. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, you know, we'll see what happens in April. Anything could happen, but I don't think that as a possibility. Joe Judge's been a Daniel Jones kid. Again, I think he had a really poor season. Uh, based on what he showed, even though he had 20 fumbles last year and 12 interceptions, 24 touchdowns, which is nice. Based on what he showed this year, it was a tremendous step back in any statistical category as well. Completion percentage. Yards per game, seven games with no touchdown passes, not one game eclipsing 300 yards. It's just – I thought it was a really bad season for him. I get the rushing yards, but I think it's a really overall bad season as a quarterback in this league. James.
2: Well, Daniel Jones had, uh, had his ups and downs. He was hurt um, towards the end of the season, so that might have hurt him. But, I mean, like Russo was saying, he really wasn't thrown for major yards, which – in this league, you need to at, at games. You also need to stay somewhat with touchdowns as best as your competitor. Um, he he honestly just got a short end of the stick at some games because we look at it. An interception that shouldn't have been thrown. Okay, that's a mistake. Um, a fumble, like the Gauman handoff uh, this past Sunday. I mean, one of them should have been like, hello? Um I mean, but some of these deep balls, they're dropping. I mean, the the main one's Evan Ingram. Daniel Jones, I would want to see, honestly, another year out of him with a different tight end, a different number one tight end, uh, to be honest. Because the amount of targets that he would throw down the field with Evan Ingram and dropping and not catching is just disgusting. So if you sub that out and you see an improvement with Daniel Jones, I'd say he's our guy. But if you don't see an improvement with Daniel Jones with a different tight end, and we get to say we draft a wide receiver, we pick up a wide receiver from free agency, whatever, and we don't see an improvement from that because realistically, we didn't really have a top number one wide receiver. Sterling Shepard's a good slot guy. We saw that Sunday. Right. Golden Tate, well, he's just a complete mess in general because he's on the field, off the field, on the JV squad, of the JV squad, or not. And then Sterling Shepherd, and not um, uh, Darius Slayton. He's fast. He's not factor all year. He didn't do anything this year. Well, I know that. That's what I'm saying. You need somebody else to because usually he's your deep threat. He's yeah. your one of your fastest guys, and he's not getting open. We saw that on Sunday. Yeah. So, I say give him a few extra pieces. If that doesn't work, that's it.
1: Very true. An excellent point. The Giants, uh, we'll get to Dave Gettleman on Thursday. The Giants don't make the playoffs because Washington defeated Philadelphia 20-14 to on Sunday Night Football. Look, the everybody wanted chaos in the NFC East by flexing this game, and that's exactly what they got. It, it was a circus all year. It was who the heck is going to win the division. It looked like Philadelphia... Well, before Dak got hurt, it looked like Dallas. Then it looked like Philly. Then it looked like the Giants for a little bit. And then it ended up in Washington's favor, as Kyle loves to say. Um, <laughs> but Alex Smith didn't look too great in this game. Now, they clinched the wild card game against Tampa Bay. But let's congratulate him and Ron River- Riverboat Rivera on capturing the NFC East crown. But I think the reason why Washington really is the division champions, granted we did beat them twice, Um uh, Chase Young and Montez Sweat, the impact of those two guys on defense really, really proved to be critical in them winning this division this year. What are you guys' thoughts on those two players, Kyle?
0: I mean, absolutely. And it, it pains me to say how perennial of a player that Chase Young is. Granted, we rolled back to week, I think 16 or 15 last year when we had that overtime thriller that meant nothing. That cost the second overall pick. But Chase Young is unbelievable, and we saw that every single game as it progressed, and he missed a couple games during the season as well. That probably could have gotten Washington even closer and competitive, and maybe this division even wouldn't have been available for a toss-up come last Sunday. But Chase Young is unbelievable. De'Aaron Payne, fantastic. Montez Sweat as well, late first-round flyer last year. Fantastic player as well. Uh, Jonathan Allen out of Alabama. That's all first-round talent right there. That's what they built. That's what Washington has assembled, and it's really, really scary uh, considering that Chase Young just, you know, this is his first year, and he absolutely just he steamrolled a lot of teams that he played. He made a lot of teams look like they were JV teams. The way he was able to rush the passer, his ability, his, um, his speed as well. I mean, you, you see him running the football back. I remember that Arizona game, running it back for a touchdown. Philadelphia couldn't quite get it to the end zone, but running away from Philadelphia defenders as well, picking up the fumble. Great young player.
1: Yeah, no, I agree, James. I kind of want to get to you here. Uh, Philadelphia moves to number six overall in the draft. A very, very questionable call by Doug Peterson to remove several starters, including Jalen Hurts for Nate Sudfeld. Although they did say they were going to do this before the game started. Uh, I don't know why people were shocked about that, but Hurts was seven for 20 and threw for just over 70 yards. Where do you stand with Doug Peterson on this play? Did he mess with the integrity of the game on Sunday night? I mean, obviously, I know we're Giant fans. We wanted the Eagles to to win, so there was somewhat of reaction from everybody when we saw Nate Sudfeld enter the game. Uh, but what is your stance on that, and how disappointed are you that Philadelphia did this?
2: So, uh, get to the Giants' standpoint quick, I would have loved to see Philly win. Probably the only time I ever root for Philly is for the Giants' to make the playoffs. I wasn't so much annoyed at the Philly loss like other Giants fans are. Um, I, you guys know, people that watch, um, colleagues, friends of mine, um, athletes when, uh, of mine, that I'm somebody that goes all out. I am not somebody to take my foot off the brake. I will, I like, for Peterson to do that, is just disgusting. I understand that was his play. Go to Stedfeld. But they he said, we'll go to Steadfield when we're blown out. When they went in on 4-1, and one, kicked the field goal, they're 20 – no, they're tied 17-17. No, you 17 17-14. Yeah. Okay, whatever it is. So, yeah. all right. Jalen Hurts wasn't having a great game. Fine. Nobody's, everybody's not going to have a good game. All right. But the fact is, you still had a chance to win. You let a division rival win on your home field. That's disgusting and embarrassing. You don't let that happen, no matter what it is. You like, I'm sorry. If you want a division rival to win, make it. Make sure they're doing it at their own stadium and not at yours. It looks disgusting for your fans and embarrassing. Second yes. off, he hurt the entire. Interrog- entire. Interrog- uh, interrog- can't see that word. Integrative. Thank Integrative. you. Love the game. Only because did he take somebody out that wasn't doing very well, but he just threw the game right in front of our eyes. He had players sit there after the game on the sidelines crying because they got pulled from the game. I'm sorry. You don't do that. You let them finish out every snap. That could be the last time they're in an Eagles uniform. That could be the last time they're in uniform in general. The way everything is now, you don't know when your last day is for a player for whatever you do. I, I'm i disgusted with him. I go full out, full on force that you don't stop until the game's over, that you just don't back. J.J. Watt said it perfectly. Yeah. You, you guys can all rewatch. I'm not going to recite every word. But I go full out, like you gotta go a hundred percent all the time. Otherwise you're embarrassing for your job, you're embarrassing for your company, you're embarrassing for your fans. And don't Honestly, be don't be I would Aaron. not want to see him on the sidelines ever again. I'm disgusted. If somebody did that to me while at work or in general, I I would have a fit. I mean, I'm seeing it a lot, a lot, lot nicer now. Um but let's just say uh, Sunday I was <laughs> somebody's grapes. Right my room wasn't getting a very nice vibe from me. Yeah.
1: Kyle, what's your opinion on Doug Peterson?
2: Uh, my opinion
0: on Peterson, I mean, Tom, I know you're saying that he said that he was going to do this before the game, but I don't even have a problem with Jalen Hurts and trying to make that argument. I have a problem with this is that you free, you pulled Zach Ertz and you played Jason Kelsey. So even though you said it, I mean, you couldn't even back yourself up and make you even look a little bit competent and try to hide the fact that you're looking to just move up in picks. I mean, we get it. Your team has been decimated with injury all year. We get it. You've had 14 different offensive line starters changes throughout 16 games, which is terrible. But my God, if you want to try to hide the fact that you're not tanking, please don't pull Zach Hertz and Jason Kelsey, probably two of the only healthy starters that are notable in this game in the fourth quarter. And on top of the fact, again, James, you alluded to it, this game is close. This game is neck and neck. This is a division rival. And I guarantee this, if there was fans in Philadelphia in those stands, if this wasn't the addition of COVID season, oh, my goodness. He would. Lucky. First off, he wouldn't have done that.
2: They're, They're lucky no they didn't have fans that
0: there. Fans would have rushed the field. Fans would have rushed the field. Yeah. That's, that's another point as well. But pulling for, what is Nate Sudfeld going to do for your franchise? What He's not even going to be on the team next year. So what is the argument for even giving him time? What is the argument? And don't you want to see more of Jalen Hurts and what he's capable of if Carson Wentz really – all we're hearing last two weeks is that this relationship between Doug Peterson and him is absolutely destroyed. Wouldn't you want to see more of Jalen Hurts instead of throwing in Carson Wentz, um, um, Nate Sudfeld, especially, especially even though Jalen Hurts was 7 for 20 passing he had the only two touchdowns rushing that the Eagles had the entire game. So what are you taking out your main source of offense for? Like explain. There's no explanation besides the fact you tanked. You tried to move up in picks, and it is what it is.
1: My final brief take on this, and you know what? I'm just going to go all out here with this because I'm kind of just ticked off about everything right now. Jalen Hurts is a, a rookie quarterback. You – Spent your second-round draft pick on. You don't even dress Carson Wentz, and now you're benching Jalen Hurts in a chance where this man has the opportunity of a lifetime to play in a close game late in the fourth quarter to get experience like that. Yep. You don't blow that opportunity. What does that do for you next year? Now Wentz is mad at you. Hurts is mad at you. Your whole team is mad at you. Zach Hurts is crying on the field till 1 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You pulled. Kel- how are you going to go up? You're going to tell Jason Kelsey. You're going to tell Brandon Graham. You're going to tell Fletcher Cox. Hey, we don't care about you. Yeah, we don't care about you and the integrity. And you're going to reward this franchise, this man with a sixth overall pick in the draft. You're playing for yourself. You're really damn selfish, Doug Peterson. Half of these guys won't even be here next year. This That's- is how they're going to remember you. Yeah, your legacy your franchise, and this organization.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's the stamp. And, uh, I mean, I think you guys can agree when I say this, that I don't think we've ever seen tanking in the NFL, but I think this is the uh, the most obvious take of it. And another point that, real quick, remember on the <laughs> fourth and one that Washington had? You know that Alex Smith is going to look to get you off sides if Vinnie Curry just falls over. And not only does that, but then did you see what he did to Alex Smith's leg? He took him out yeah. of legs as well. Not only did he jump off he took his lap. Out. So stupid. That, that come on, that's tanking as finest I've ever seen it.
1: So, we're, we're going to do something cool here for the last five minutes of the show. Quick fire rapid segment where we each make a brief statement on who we're picking for the super wild card weekend and why. Uh, first off, we have, this is great, by the way, we have six games on wild card weekend. The first game we're going to talk about is the seventh seed Indianapolis Colts, and the AFC will be traveling to Bills Stadium to play the number two Buffalo Bills, who are favored by six and a half in this game. Indy, now they're a little bit better defensively, but Buffalo we talked about earlier tonight with Greg Thompson from Buffalo that they are – I don't want to assume he's from Buffalo, but they do have a top two offense. James, we will start with you and your pick for this game.
2: Buffalo, uh, you want to score too at the same time?
1: You uh, You can.
2: Okay. Uh, Buffalo. Huh? I'm sorry.
1: I won't be writing it down. I won't oh, be a okay.
2: back All right. Yeah, I'll take Buffalo. Um, They should, they'll be close, but then they'll come up in the second half and be able to steamroll the Colts. Kyle Russo. I'm taking
0: Buffalo as well. I love that Colts defense, but I just don't believe in Phillip Rivers. And I think we saw that against Jacksonville, that he really underperformed if it wasn't for Jonathan Taylor.
1: Folks, nobody circles the wagons like Bill's Mafia. Uh, Buffalo. Look, the Colts, all due respect to them, they had a great season, but Buffalo is just the hottest team in the league right now. It's going to be really tough to take them out round one, especially on the road. Um, The sixth seed, L.A. Rams, play the second game on Saturday out of the NFC, traveling to Seattle to play the Seahawks 12-4. They split the season series. Jared Goff's status is in doubt at the moment. The Rams come into this game with the number one defense in the league. Kyle, we will start with you this time and your pick for this game.
0: I love me some Russell Wilson, so I'm going to
2: ride with the Seahawks in this
0: game.
1: James?
2: Um, If Goff was playing, I would have picked the Rams, but Seahawks are going to advance.
1: The Giants ruined the Seahawks' season, and it's going to prove more evident Saturday afternoon. Rams in an upset. So we go to the nightcap on Saturday. Tampa Bay at Washington, the fifth seed Bucks out of the NFC, finished eleven and five. Tom Brady led team playing at Washington. It's ridiculous that an eleven and five team needs to travel to a seven and nine team, but it is what it is. Tampa Bay favored by eight and a half at the moment. Washington, though, has the second ranked defense in the NFL, according to NFL.com. Tampa Bay has the sixth ranked defense. And their offense has been great as of late. They've they've been the hottest team in the NFC the last few weeks. Second passing attack in the league. Ron Rivera stated that Alex Smith, Taylor Heineke rotation is a possibility. I'm going to go first here and take Tampa Bay. But I don't know if they cover the spread. I think they're going to win the game. It's going to depend on Alex Smith and how they come out out of the game. I think Rivera is going to have the guys amped up and ready for this game. But Tampa Bay is going to win.
0: Yeah, I think over the last couple weeks we've been seeing the Bucs really assemble and what the offense on paper actually forming onto the field has been. You know, even without Mike Evans, if they are without Mike Evans, I I still think Tampa wins just based on the fact that their offensive talent is just so good. And Washington, frankly, just doesn't really have that type of caliber to compete offensively.
2: James. Uh, Tampa Bay Chase Young will get what he is asking for with Tom Brady ripping their defense to treads along with Gronk.
1: Yeah, you don't want to mess with Tom Brady and Bruce Arians. Those two men are men's men. Um, and this game will not fall into Washington's favor. No. So we move on to Sunday. Number five seed out of the AFC, Baltimore Ravens are 11 and 5, traveling to the fourth seed, Tennessee Titans, who are also 11 and 5. And Baltimore is favored by three and a half on the road. They've been hot as of late. Last year, Tennessee upset Baltimore on the road as a sixth seed, 28-12, to in the divisional round. I wish we had Fonz here right now to talk about this one and see how he's feeling about Sunday. But these are the top two rushing teams in the league, Baltimore first, Tennessee second. But what's different around this time is that Tennessee has the third-ranked offense in the NFL. Uh, Credit to Arthur Smith. James, we will start with you. Who do you got?
2: Uh, Ravens aren't going to Ravens aren't going to go fall in that trap. I'm taking Ravens.
1: All right. I like it. Kyle?
2: I'm going
0: Titans. Didn't the Titans beat the Ravens earlier this year as well? They did. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going I'm going Titans. Until you can stop Derrick Henry, until Lamar Jackson can um really throw the ball accurately and be that accurate passer, because, again, we know the Titans don't have a good defense. If he could be that, I think they would wind up winning, but I'm going to roll with the Titans in this game. Sorry, Fonz. Uh,
1: Mike Vrabel. Is an excellent head coach. So is John Harbaugh. But what's different now is Tennessee's defense is not as good as it was last year. They no. lost multiple players, including Logan Ryan, who uh, is now on the Giants. But despite that, I don't trust Lamar Jackson. I'm going Tennessee in a tight one. Um, so Lamar now will be zero and three in the playoffs, and the criticism and heat will continue. So. The last NFC game, the second game on Sunday, the seventh seed Chicago Bears will go to the number two seed New Orleans Saints, who are twelve and four. The Bears are eight and eight. You can catch the game on Nickelodeon and a couple other channels as well.
2: Um, Is that yeah. wait? That's real. I thought you were joking yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's on real. Amazon Prime too. I think it's like on a whole bunch of channels. And he was actually exactly.
1: telling me last night he will be watching the Bears game on Nickelodeon on Sunday. Yeah,
2: and he'll, he'll also be watching
0: SpongeBob after the game as well. I don't know. <laughs> Like, really so, the Saints
1: are favored by nine Their offense will get Alvin Kamara back Fourth-ranked defense in the league I mean, a lot of people questioning if the Bears deserve to be in the playoffs Kyle, we'll start with you here
0: I'm going to roll with the Saints uh, I, I want to see Drew Brees go out on a good note Especially if these rumors are true that he is retiring
2: I want him to get at least out of in this race It's the Bears team
1: James, what do you got?
2: Saints, Bears got lucky to make the playoffs. They turned their chip around, but I think it's too little, too late. Bears fans got, I think, back on the Bears board um, because they made the playoffs. But sorry, Andy, they're not advancing.
1: Mitch Trubisky is going to lead this team into New Orleans and have one heck of a game. Allen Robinson is going to have over 75, 80 receiving yards. David Montgomery should have. Close to 100 yards rushing, but it will not be enough. Sorry if I built any anticipation. <laughs> that. But wow, the, Saints are going to win. The, the Saints are going to win this football game. But I'm warning both of you right now, do not be surprised if Chicago pulls this off.
0: Saints always blow it, so I wouldn't be surprised.
1: Look, last year nobody wanted to pick the Vikings. Nobody. Uh, all right, so the sixth seed Cleveland Browns, it was just announced that Kevin Stefanski tested positive for COVID-19 on Tuesday. The virus still lingering in that locker room, and then special teams coach Mike Freifer will serve as the active head coach. Other positives include three-time Pro Bowl guard Joel Batonio, Browns' third-ranked rushing attack against Pittsburgh's third-ranked defense. Steelers favored by four-and-a-half at home. Who do you got? James.
2: Boy, a matchup from last week with different players, uh, Steelers. They move on. Yeah.
0: I wanted to be that guy, pick the Browns, but they're just missing too much now. And I think that it'll force Baker Mayfield to really carry the team on his back. Um, So I'm going to roll with the Steelers. Baker will be baked
1: on Sunday night as the Steelers will come out victorious to Claim the edge in the rubber game of the season. Pittsburgh will advance. Uh, by the way, I had them winning even without the COVID positives. So that will wrap it up here tonight on review and preview, folks. This was an excellent show with a lot of action packed stuff. Really enjoyed it tonight with both of you guys. An excellent podcast to start off 2021. A quick reminder, tomorrow night, the North Pole will be live 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern time with Gabe Flayton. He will be joined by our good buddy Andy Hopper from the Brew Party and one of your newer recurring guests, Caitlin McCarthy, of the Kicking Off with Caitlin podcast, the preview, the NFL playoffs. Hank and I are back at it tomorrow uh, on Thursday evening with Big Blue Avenue, 7 to 9 p.m., with none other than the two of you, James Montefusco and Kyle Russo, will be joining the show it's going to be a lot of fun. Heads are going to be smashing. Uh, we're going to be going at it, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure to check that out. Uh, all right, folks. So, James, Kyle, anything else you'd like to add?
2: No. Overall,
0: great show, great interview, and I look forward to Thursday. It should be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. Thursday's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to Super Card Wild – Super uh, – whatever it's called. Uh, super super Wild, Wild Card Weekend. Uh, Nickelodeon, guys. Yeah.
0: Andy, when you said after the loss, you could watch Spongebob. I'm sorry. Yes, that would be an
1: excellent thing to happen on Sunday. But all right, folks, thank you very much, one and all, for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube at Review and Preview Sports. Follow us on all platforms. On behalf of James Montefusco and Kyle Russo, I'm Tom Scavetta saying so long. You've been watching Review and Preview Sports here on Facebook Live. Everybody, have a good night.